What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I just wanted to remind you that we have merch for sale, official podcast merch. You can go to the link in the description of this very podcast and go to our Teespring account and get a shirt, two coffee mugs, and a COVID-19 custom mask with our logo on it, because why not milk this pandemic for all it's worth financially? So uh, again, the description to our merch is in the description of this podcast. On to the show. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 208 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, December 3rd, uh, after Thanksgiving. Uh, we took that week off, so we could, well, I was fucking busy. I'm not going to act all sanctimonious, like, oh, Thanksgiving holiday is sacred to me. We can't do a podcast. I would have totally done it, but I was busy. I think Mike was probably busy, too. Um, and hopefully... The synchronization on this fucking episode is proper. What do you say, Mike? Uh, I hope so, too. I got my fingers crossed. I've been checking my audio levels like uh, multiple times during this uh, uh, recording and also beforehand. So hopefully everything will turn out just fine. Boy, did I hear from it from you guys last week about how fucked up the audio was on the Action Park episode. And then I went back and listened and um it it was kind of messed up in certain parts like i would be talking like i am right now and then mike would just start talking and neither one of us would stop talking so it was just literally like two audio tracks over each other yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i could see how that would be a little distracting um i could see why some people would be like mike stop talking over uh, josh yeah like like mike you really have to let josh finish his sentences and then other people were like, I thought Josh just stopped giving a fuck anymore and just continued to talk over Mike and didn't let him interrupt him anymore. And it's like, nope, neither one of those <laughs> were the case. That was just fucked up audio. Uh, I would like to think that we've gotten better at our uh, back and forth on here, you know. So, and if there is any hardcore interruption, I usually edit that out. So you don't really hear those as much anymore as you did back in the olden days where I just left them the fuck in. But anyway, how are you doing, Mike? How have you been? How was your Thanksgiving? I'm doing, I'm doing good. Uh, Thanksgiving was just pretty uh, normal, uh, kind of boring. Just had a Thanksgiving uh, dinner with my parents at home, and uh, we didn't even have a turkey or anything. We had like uh, some like apricot pork roast and like uh, some sweet potatoes and. Um, that's pretty much and some pumpkin pie. Oh, gotta have that. And uh, I watched a couple Thanksgiving comedies uh, that night. I watched uh, Dutch with Ed O'Neill uh, from Married with Children, and then I also wa- rewatched uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is still an absolute classic. Love that movie. 
so so good. did you uh were, were you, do you guys typically have like a big family get together thanksgiving normally what we do is we go over to my grandmother's house you know we have thanksgiving with her mm-hmm. and maybe a couple of my aunts or you know my uncles might drop by but you know with covid and everything we just decided not to do that and and there was a mutual decision you know among us and and my grandmother so yeah well, that's good that's smart i mean <laughs> honestly in our situation there really wasn't a lot of decisions to be made because uh any elder in our family is dead uh my uh, both yeah. of my grandparent both of my sets of grandparents are dead uh my brother's uh wife uh, i guess my sister-in-law i'm still not used to saying that phrase um her mom and grandma died. Um, her grandma died this year. Her mom died last year. Um, not not from COVID or anything, just from other health problems. I think it was diabetes for uh, her mom. So, yeah, I mean, it, we literally, it was just like me, my mom, my brother, Stephanie, um, who's basically like a family member at this point, um, and then my niece and nephew. And that, I mean, it was pretty small. It was good, though. I mean... You know, Thanksgiving, it is what it is. Like, how, you know, you don't make a whole day out of it. I mean, I guess some families do, but I, I don't I don't see the point in doing something like that. It's like, sh- you don't see it as the same thing as Christmas. No, it's like, you, you know, show up, eat, go. I mean, what, you know, what else is there? You know, on, on mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, that's usually when we, my family would. Well, I mean, if you're into like sports and stuff, especially football, then it then it's a whole day kind of thing usually oh yeah isn't there some kind of football game of some kind yeah there's like so usually like three football games on on thanksgiving um yeah i was very thankful for my team uh getting crippling offensive line injuries and getting blown out on thanksgiving that was great that was lovely (laughs) that was the dallas cowboys (laughs) yeah that was that was great it's fantastic it also doesn't help either that my boss at work is a is a Washington football team fan who still like proudly wears his Redskins gear even though like you know they're not the Redskins right. anymore, but he's like just clinging on to that, um, probably because he just hasn't been able to get any new gear yet. But uh, it's like hey, you know, I'll give him that victory, you know, in his life. But you know, he likes to kind of kind of bust my balls about it so it's kind of like uh great i gotta deal with that how about uh let's talk about um the uh monoliths that have uh not miraculously but uh out of the blue started to appear in different locations have you read about that you know like the steel monoliths like there's one that showed up in the middle of like the utah desert or something i gotta look this up and uh, I'm bringing it up because I had a a customer came into work today and he's all like, hey, man, you know, there are aliens on the dollar bill. And I'm like, there's an alien on the dollar bill. And, you know, there's like monoliths, uh, you know, in Utah and one. All, there's another one that they saw in uh, California. And I'm like, OK, man, dude, this cool. this this literally looks like straight out of the. 2001 a space odyssey yeah mm-hmm. story that looks yep. i'm looking at the video right now that looks so planted i uh, yeah i think it's just an art installation i think some uh artist <clears throat> decided to uh 
go through the trouble of installing some steel monolith in the middle of the desert somewhere. Uh, apparently, that's not legal, but uh, the artist was like, I don't fucking care. You know, art is art. Yeah, art has uh, these, no boundaries. These, these are, uh, this is a little too perfect and man made looking for me to believe. Like, you can even see like little rivets. Uh, near the sides of the monolith where it's like almost like it's uh you know riveted together to form the like the triangle i still thought it was oh interesting, yeah no it, it's super interesting but i don't you know i yeah i think i think you're right i think it's probably some art installation of some kind the artist is probably waiting uh and uh just waiting for the right moment to reveal himself yeah i mean that's like banksy you know all the all the uh, graffiti kind of stuff he does and it's like considered work mm-hmm. of art but he just does it illegally on uh well now he does it. he can he's so famous but how do you i i love how you like didn't even like uh react at all to like a guy saying there's an alien on on the dollar bill oh i i've heard all it, that shit before i i <laughs> like that's some shit that they talked about in elementary school like the kids would be like hey have you seen the yeah. spider on the back of the one dollar bill and if you look in the upper right hand corner on the back I think by one of the ones there's like a little tiny spider that they illustrated which was you know kind of a little oh, okay. easter egg but yeah that's cool that's the first time I've heard about an alien though yeah I don't, I don't know whatever I'm, I've got I've gotten over the years. I've just gotten so skeptical of all that shit, and I'm like so sick of all these conspiracy theories. I think the guy's just uh, a little bit crazy. So I don't. I don't even think there really is an alien on the one dollar bill. Oh yeah, no. Most he most um, likely. Is. I mean, dude, there there is a. Remember uh, after nine eleven, there was that whole thing where you if you folded a twenty dollar bill a certain way, it literally looked like the twin towers with smoke coming out of them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's like you can origami some shit into anything if you try hard enough, you know. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's any, uh, you know, that, that 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 was set up that way, man. Like, I did that video uh-huh. on my YouTube channel, like, years ago about how the Super Tramp album, Breakfast in America, the album cover, uh, predicted 9-11. Oh, yeah, I remember that Dude, one, Dude, yeah. I made that video as a joke, um, and, the, and the amount of people who are like, you know... Yeah, and, and and you know the government doesn't want you to know about this. And I'm like, oh my god! I even <laughs> I said I, in the in the last bit of the video, I said, I'm sick." Which, if you play it in reverse, it's "kiss my ass." And uh, I tried, uh, tried to, you know, and, and someone did, someone yeah. did, because they're like, uh, "I like how you told me to kiss your ass at the end of the video, but on actually, blah 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 blah." And I even have like the definition of coincidence at the, uh, in big on the screen. It says coincidence, Merriam-Webster De- definition. You know, something that uh, appears to have a connection but doesn't. You know, like um, mm-hmm. yeah. So all all that shit's just people see what they want right. to see. And if you don't want to see something, you're going to come up with every reason as to why it isn't, in fact, the way that uh, it might actually be. Like if you don't. Which is why some people will, you know, look at these steel monoliths and because they want it to be, you know, the result of some alien uh, installation uh, or message to mankind, uh, that's what they uh, view it as. This is a podcast about uncovering unexplained mysteries. It's actually about unsolved mysteries, but it's called Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And... um, 
Because we can't call it the other no, thing. No, we can't call it the other thing. We almost got sued for that back in 2016. <laughs> um, but no, we are going to be doing the foreign edition of uh, the Uncovering Explained Mysteries podcast. Uh, und ich die ganze episode auf Deutsch machen. So, uh, yeah, hier ist uh, unser erster Mystery von the uh, erste Season von Unsolved Mysteries auf Netflix. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm not actually doing the whole episode in German, but we are covering cases that are uh, from other countries. Uh, they have, for whatever reason, they have that that their token episodes on each season where it has to be from another country. I mean, I don't know if that they like do that on purpose or if that's just kind of like a, I don't know, it just happened to turn out that way. I think they had more than one episode from another country. Mm. Like in uh, volume two of the new Unsolved Mysteries, there were at least two of them. I don't think them. so. Because he had the Oslo, whatever, oh, the girl in Oslo. Right. Or yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I guess the Oslo one, they just spoke English like half the time. So, yeah, uh, I guess I guess a better name for this would be the subtitled uh, edition of the Uncovering <laughs> Explained Mysteries podcast, where we cover yeah. the episodes that were completely in subtitles. And let me tell you, buddy, I fucking hate subtitles. I refuse to watch this um uh, the the Frenchie episode uh, on the first season of the Netflix Unsolved Mysteries because I hate subtitles so much. Uh, some people love subtitles. Some people will watch a episode in English and still have subtitles because they quote don't want to miss anything. Uh, I hate them. I think they're distracting. I hate how like when when you know I have like a really short attention span thanks to my OCD and so a lot of times when I'm watching something on t uh, TV, I want to also be able to, like, fuck with my phone. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that. I want to multitask. It's hard for me to just sit in front of a TV and just watch and do nothing else. Like, that is a skill that I have lost the older that I've gotten, which is crazy because you'd think that that would be more of a young person thing. Well, I think if you uh, start watching more foreign films, I think you'll probably develop that skill better. Because that, I said, you know, initially... Uh, I was in the same boat. I didn't like subtitles, so on and so forth. But I did a lot of reading. But I'd kind of not read as much as I used to. Like, I wasn't reading as many books as I used to when I was uh, younger. So, I was... The main thing was... It wasn't that I didn't like subtitles at all. It was just I didn't want to do so much reading. You know, while I'm watching something. Um... But when I took a foreign film class, I, I just essentially kind of figured it out a way to still uh, get the the right. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. I don't I, I'm trying to think of the right word. But like when it comes to uh, appreciation, that, that's a good word for it. The appreciation for, uh, you know, the, the uh, language of uh these uh people from these different countries and 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 uh ethnicities and nationalities and i feel that when watching them speak in their native tongue it, it's much more uh it's not necessarily much more effective but in some ways it definitely is because sometimes the dubbing is really bad in some of these uh foreign films that are dubbed and it makes the acting appear as if it's worse than it really is. And I guess also, I appreciate 
uh, a more authentic take on you know real people like in a show like this these are real people so uh i i don't know i kind of part of me kind of would feel bad like if if i'm not appreciating you know uh their language uh and and trying to just disassociate myself from it because it's something that i i because i don't want to read subtitles you know it's just like one of those um i th and i think i understand why some people uh feel the way that you do it's just it's just too much at yeah, once yeah, for me it's just but, i don't know um, like it's it's uh it's not as um relaxing and enjoyable like when i sit down and watch a program I kind of just want to like mm -hmm. relax and zone, you know, not zone out, but like, you know, let my brain not have to, you know, do any thinking or do as little thinking as possible. You know, that's why they call it, they used to call it the idiot box, you know, because like that's the whole purpose is just for entertainment. And then when I have to, I know this, I just sound like your typical stupid American right now. When I have to read too while I'm watching, like that's a deal breaker for me. Um, no, it's, it's not necessarily a deal breaker. Like, uh, have you seen any anime? Are you the one that like watches the, the no? Dubs, that's right? Stephanie watches anime. Um, I I don't think I don't <laughs> think dub dubbing is the answer either. Uh, I hate uh, movies that are dubbed. It's like super awkward and and stupid looking. Um, but like for instance, like I love Der Untergang. Uh, that's the German World War Two movie, uh, and it's it's in obviously it, the actor. See that like that's. I guess if it's like a country where I'm already like kind of fascinated with the language, like Germany, like it's not as bad. But if it's a country where it's like I literally have no idea what the fuck they're saying, um, I I'm just like, eh. Well, I mean, you kind of know some well, no, German, I know a I know, so I think that probably I know helps. a good bit of German. So it's like I still yeah. have to use the subtitles, but it's re it, it almost like reinforces what I already like, you know, kind of knew. It, it kind of helps me learn at, at the same time I'm being entertained. So I can watch like German subtitled stuff because i'm interested in Ger the language of german as it is but uh i just wanted to point out that you know both of these episodes were um uh well the french one i i really enjoyed that one um the the i don't know what they call it house of horror is the uh, house, house of, of terror, terror yeah um that one i really enjoyed um despite the fact that i had to read the subtitles i would have enjoyed it more there were no subtitles and I could somehow understand French, but uh, unfortunately that was not the case. But uh, anyway, so we're going to cover these two. We There was a glaring omission of us not covering House of Terror um, in the previous weeks when we have been covering all the, the episodes from season one and season two and all that. Um, so, But first we're going to start with one from season two, which is the uh, Tsunami uh, episode. Yes, the Tsunami Spirits. This, this was um, their first quote-unquote ghost episode of uh, the new Unsolved Mysteries. I will say this. I think this ghost episode uh, worked out better than their UFO oh, episode. Fuck yeah. That, I mean, but that's that's not that high of a bar to raise. No, but I'm just saying in terms of actually showcasing some genuinely creepy and eerie visuals, because there are some shots in this, like the, the shot of uh, the ghosts that are essentially just waiting outside uh the windows of of this uh uh house that uh these japanese uh, people are living in and they were talking about how these uh drenched people would show up 
and ask for dry clothes. And then there's this shot of like, you know, these drenched, soaked, wet Japanese ghosts just staring and, uh, you know, through the window. And, you know, it's got the, the way that it's lit is, is effectively creepy. So there were moments like that that actually did kind of remind me somewhat of some of the attempts to create uh, an eerie mood and atmosphere in the original uh, Unsolved Mysteries when it comes to the ghost stories. Um, I would say for me, like what was special about this episode was just uh, how much great footage, I guess, archival footage yes. they had of the actual yes. tsunami uh breaking over the barriers and like oh my yeah, god and just all this water <laughs> is just flowing down the city and just taking everything with it cars trash buildings whatever entire house entire yeah houses, it was just yeah. it, was, it just literally the water d- gave no fucks it took everything with it and in um well i think there's some stat out there that it only takes what was it like a foot of water to carry away a human being. Like that's all it takes. And they showed, they showed the uh, earthquake footage too. And that was, that was pretty yeah. good as well. So um, being able to, I, I yeah, got, it was a 9.0 yeah. earthquake, which is bad enough. But then that of course creates a huge tidal wave, AKA tsunami. Yeah. So uh, this deals with uh, the tsunami spirits of Ishinomaki um and uh, apparently and this uh, community called uh, Teruo Kano, which apparently struggled to stay afloat for two hours uh, after the tsunami hit on uh, March 11, 2011. A powerful 9.0 magnitude earthquake sent a uh, 120 foot high tsunami crashing into the coast of Northeast Japan. Like, this is the kind of thing that you thought only existed in disaster movies. Like, oh, you know, there's tsunamis, you know, there's earthquakes, but they're not, like, that catastrophic. Yeah, it's not as, it's not as you know, real not to you when, you're not, when you don't see, like, actual news footage of, like, hey, this is, this is what it really looks like, this is what really happened, then it becomes a lot more real. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely just jaw-dropping in terms of nature's wrath. Um, it is the most powerful earthquake and the most deadly tsunami ever recorded in the country. And apparently in Japan, in this particular part of Japan, that they had had numerous earthquakes of different pretty high magnitudes. An 8.3, uh, uh, a few earthquakes that were in the 7.0 range, and then the 9.0. Um, I don't even know if we've had a 9.0 in like California or, or somewhere in, in the U S you would recently. know more than I would. We, I've never, I'm, I've never been anywhere near uh, a place that has any kind of earthquake activity being in Florida. I know people have said things like for years that if, you know, there's a, they've talked about the big one in California, you know, if there's like a nine point oh nine point five or whatever, uh, California, and especially the places that are alongside the San Andreas Fault, are are in some really deep shit. Well, it might be cheaper to live there after that. Oh, that was cruel. Oh, damn. That was cruel. Cruel. Damn, that's cold. cruel. So uh, this is a huge tsunami and a huge earthquake. 
Once the sea retreats, nearly 20,000 people have been crushed, burned to death, or drowned. It is Japan's greatest single loss of life since the atomic bombing of Nagasaki in 1945. Goddamn. So, uh... They interviewed uh, survivors here. There's this one guy. I think he worked as as a uh, businessman in like a, a high rise or something like that. And uh, he was talking about how oh it's coming. The power went out, and then I was carried away, and like I didn't know what was up or or what was down, and I was like I'm going to die, and he's like having flashes of his family and his mind. And I thought it was going to go somewhere. I thought the tsunami spirits, when you were having this interview, I thought it was going to go to a place where, and then all of a sudden, you know, something, you know, lifted me above the water, you know, but it, it didn't go that route. It just talked about how he somehow miraculously survived, uh, being carried away by all, by all this water. Yeah. Uh, and then he talked about how like, uh, a bunch of his uh, uh, fellow co-workers, like over 50 of them died uh, when the tsunami hit. And there, and I thought, I thought the segment did a, it did a good job, like really um, putting you in the shoes of, of the individuals that dealt with this and, and, and suffered, you know, the loss uh, that, that uh, came from the tsunami. Uh, some of them are genuinely really just heartbreaking. Uh, the guy who's talking the uh, about how his family, his entire family was lost. And, you know, he saw his older, eldest daughter just laying on a branch. And she looked perfectly you know? fine, but she was yeah. dead. And then he was talking about, you know, that how he found his wife uh, pretty soon after and then found his little baby girl. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I know. It was brutal. Really brutal stuff. Both, both um, of these cases really are fucking yes, <laughs> both yes. very brutal. So uh, the city of Ishinomaki is one of the hardest hit areas of the tsunami. Six thousand lives are lost in that city alone. Taro uh, Kano is working in his office when the tsunami wave comes crashing through his building. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, the guy I was talking about, is Taro Kano. Um, uh, he struggles to stay afloat for more than two hours, suffering severe hypothermia before being miraculously rec- rescued by a friend. Taxi drivers apparently had uh, ghostly passengers. I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, series of cases they were talking about, where you know there would actually be recorded evidence of somebody would come in, they would start running their fare, and then they. T- get to the destination and they turn around and they're gone. Yep. That's eerie. <laughs> I mean, what would you do in that scenario? Like if you're a Lyft or an Uber driver and you catch a ride from somebody and, and then they just disappear. Well, that's what happened with the, uh, the resurrection Mary, uh, case. The, oh yeah. The, the taxi yeah. driver, uh, ga- gave her a lift and she, you know, he's like, where to miss? And she's like the cemetery. And he's like, what? And you know, he, um, well, I think he goes to let her out and she's just like gone or mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the whole, uh, like, uh, um, I, I know, I feel like I'm already like summing it up. I'm not necessarily trying to do that, but, um, it, it's, it, it, this whole case to me, it feels like, um, it's kind of become like a known thing now with 
paranormal sightings that any, any area where there was a lot of emotion, uh, extreme emotion expelled, like on a battlefield or this is a perfect example because a lot of people died. There was a lot of intense fear, a lot of intense, you know, mainly just fear. But um, yeah, so it's like you could totally see why this would be like emotions as well, you know, uh, sadness, yeah, uh, sadness for the aftermath and all that. So, I mean, um, but for the dying, it was all fear. And and so you could see why this would be like and it was a lot of people too, like like basically like the Gettysburg battlefield where which is an infamous uh, spot. Thousands of people. Yeah. With with ghost sightings. So you could see how this place would definitely be like a, a good candidate for, you know, hauntings and ghosts paranormal activity if you will also uh this uh particular episode speaks of uh the differences between japanese culture and and our own in terms of their spirituality their connection with the dead which i thought was definitely interesting um that would uh explain why a lot of uh people are seeing ghosts because uh, they have a deeper connection with the dead. Well, see, I think uh, than- I, th- I think the whole uh, element of that it, it boils down to the differences of religions because uh, yes. both both uh, Western and uh, Japanese culture, as far as I can say for for this episode, uh, they, we both well, I say we in a general sense, not in me personally. Uh, we both cultures feel like there is an afterlife because in the West you yes. have Catholicism and Christianity with things like heaven and hell. I don't think that the Asian spirituality necessarily believes that there is a good place or a bad place that you go when you die. I think there's just an, an overarching uh, afterlife where everyone goes and it's not dependent on whether you're good or bad. I mean, I, I don't know for sure about that, but yeah, well, I mean, I guess the well, if you're Buddhist. I think the worst that can happen is that you're just reincarnated until you you have to keep, you know, mm-hmm. doing like you have to keep correct or you have to fix the wrongs in your past life and your yeah. new life. And that's the only time you'll reach nirvana and you won't be reincarnated anymore and you'll join uh-huh. the spirits in the universe, whatever the fuck. I don't know. Way getting way out of my knowledge and pay grade level here. This is this is the podcast you guys signed up for the one with the uh, minimal research and knowledge and maximum opinion and i think that's right (laughs) um but uh yeah it 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 definitely seems like they were they're more open to it as a culture at least uh a lot of the people who were living uh in the area of uh, ishinomaki um there's even uh interviews uh from uh i think it was like a a historian or something like that he's talking about how this particular part of japan was more into uh spirituality and and you know uh this connection with with the dead than maybe other parts of japan were at the time um and i think you know when you open yourself up to something like that willingly and it, and it's an accepted kind of thing, you know. It, it's something that's not considered to be taboo or scary or uh, something to be fearful of. Um, I think there is something to be said about like you know a mass collection of of energies, you know, where people are open to uh, you know this communication with spirits. Um, they also talk about how in their culture. They don't think 
that you know when you die you know you just you just kind of they they look at it as kind of like a screen between you and uh the world of living so you know uh the living can still see you the dead can still see you too it's not one of those things where you know it's it's you know completely uh separated everything is connected uh the living and the dead so that would really explain a lot of their uh the uh sensibilities like the cab drivers who are like hey you know i I'm de- i've i've lost loved ones i've dealt with a lot of grief because of this um i would give the these ghosts another ride <laughs> openly yeah. you know it's like that's the kind of thing that like it, that would sound absurd you know coming from the 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 mouth of you know like a new york cab driver or something like you wouldn't really it, 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 it wouldn't be normal like you'd be like oh that's that you know be like okay all right you're gonna accept ghosts okay um and you might have some people be like like is that guy you know nuts like what is what is he talking about ghosts like ghosts in his cab come on but uh in in this instance i think it's just a widely accepted thing so i think when it comes to these uh, spirits um they're welcomed instead of uh try instead of one of those things where they push them away and because of that there's side effects like that one uh uh woman who apparently was just constantly getting possessed by these spirits yeah that was that was freaky and she like that that would just be really uh insane to say the least very difficult to deal with that just constantly getting possessed yeah, by these. That's, uh, that's kind of just... that's kind of where I like my my line of uh, believability. Kind of like I kind of draw know, a line I know, there. I know, what, I know what you mean, and I, I'm definitely in in kind of the same boat. But I'm just I'm having an open mind, and I'm thinking about like what if that was real? Like what if that was something that you know actually could happen? Uh, I'm and I'm like that is pretty horrifying, <laughs> to be honest. To just constantly be feeling all these uh, extreme emotions of people who died in such a, you know, tragic and and genuinely horrific manner. Yeah, yeah. No, one I, after I, I would probably contemplate suicide if that was happening to me on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, the, the, it was uh, Amy who uh, says that her body was uh, possessed by various spirits over several weeks. Reverend Kaneda expels more than two dozen spirits from her body and like the the spirit expelling ceremony is not like and it's not really like an exorcism it's not like you know the power of christ compels you it's not like this intense thing uh so that's another interesting uh, uh way that things differ from you know what we are familiar with in our culture you know when it comes to uh cleansing spirits you know like I, that at least for me, like when I first think of, you know, cleansing spirits, I think of the exorcist. Right. You know, I don't think of like, you know, just praying really hard and having incense or, you know, just being really relaxed or whatever for a, a bunch of hours. All, all of that stuff is, somebody pray is filtered through the, pr- all that stuff is filtered through the prism of whatever religion is, is dominant in that country. Mm-hmm. And for the, the United States, it's Catholicism or 
you know, Baptists or whatever. So, you know, our whole thing is going to be there's demons in you, you know, power of Christ compels you, throw holy water, all that other kind of stuff. But in Japan, it's, you know, it's it's not... It, it feels like it has less of a uber-religious, like, overtone to it, and it's just more of, like, an accepted part of the culture rather than this, um, like, it has to be tied into religion somehow, you know? Yeah. And uh, and uh, it's understandable that there... Are, and, and, and it's actually wonderful that there are so many different uh, uh, cultures in this world. And, you know, I, I, I would absolutely despise you know the fact if if we were in a world that like everybody is you know of one religion and you know follows uh you know these this uh one core set of beliefs it would it would just it, it makes the world less unique and less amazing and you know i think that that's something that with us episodes like this, it exposes you, exposes you to other cultures. And I, I always find that worthwhile, whether or not, you know, it's the best story, yeah. you know, the best possible case. It's always something that's worthwhile to me because it, it, it uh, shows you a, uh, a culture and, and gives you a glimpse at a part of the world that yeah, you're not, uh, necessarily always going to be privy to. You're not going to uh, necessarily always be uh, drawn to compared to things that you're familiar with. I think Asian countries in general are, will always kind of be of a, be of a mystery to uh, Americans unless you know you actually go over there and spend a long period of time and really understanding all the nuances of, of their cultures and all that, you know, I think, I think it'll always remain a mystery because it, it really is kind of the exact opposite of how we are, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, you, I mean like the whole thing where, uh, they have a tradition of cremating all of their dead. Yeah. They weren't They're, able to, th- they weren't able to do that with the tsunami. So they had to bury them and then cremate them later, which I thought was crazy that they would like dig Mm -hmm. them back up. And like cremation is so important to them that they would dig up the body just so they could burn it. (laughs) Cause that's just part of their culture, man. That's how they do it. It's just like, damn, they're like really hardcore about that cremation. I mean, we, we do cremation here in, in, in the United States because it's hella cheaper than doing a funeral. Quite honestly, a lot of, a lot of times it's on economics. yeah, it's an economic thing, and then it's also a choice. It doesn't seem like, you know, I mean, there's there might be some, you know, uh, people in Asian culture who do decide to not cremate their dead, but um, it, it, at least in this community, it seemed like that was like the thing. That's what you did, and it, and it was disrespectful to the dead if you if you didn't you know, give them, give them that, uh, uh, um, final, uh, denouement, so to speak after their, uh, initial denouement. Um, fuck's a denouement. It's like an end, another word for ending. Well, look at you smart college boy using words I haven't heard of before. Think you're better than me. (laughs) No, I think we're, we're equal. Uh, but, uh, you're also better than me in other, other, 
particular ways. So, I have a larger collection of PlayStation games than you do. Yes, you also have a larger collection of music. You're a better musician than I am. Look, Mike, I don't, I don't like all this, uh, the, the, this <laughs> the, the touchy feely, complimenty stuff. I like. It. Let's get back to the insults. I'm more comfortable with that. <laughs> but uh, I really don't have much else to say about the tsunami spirits except uh i i thought it was worth at least one watch uh to see the tsunami footage at, uh at the very least and to just get uh you know a little slice of this this culture um from, you, the, from this particular part of the world do you agree with my initial thing that i said about this episode um i think it was a few episodes ago where i said uh, if you thought that the first season didn't ha- didn't feel like Unsolved Mysteries, by the time you get to the Tsunami episode of the second season, you're, we're like worlds apart from Unsolved Mysteries as we remember it. I don't it. know. I mean, I think... I think it, it really could have worked. You know, if it was just a shorter, you know, like 10-minute long segment. You know, I think this could have actually fit in the old Unsolved Mysteries. Because they've talked about things like from other countries, you know, like the UK before. They've talked about different sort of legends and Belgium, UFOs, you know, and, and stuff like that. So I, I think it actually would have uh, been right in their wheelhouse. Um, so I don't think it's like that drastic of, of a departure. I'm not talking um, story wise, I'm talking. How it's structured, the cinematography, the, yeah, the feel—it yeah. just yes. did not feel like unsolved mysteries at all. It, it, there were some moments, like I said, the the attempts to try to do these ghostly reenactments, but uh, it is different than what you saw in the original unsolved mysteries because in, they don't really look like what we think ghosts look like. But even uh, uh, one of the uh, women uh, that uh, uh, were. Uh, or was interviewed in this particular uh, episode, she's talking about how when I see spirits, they're like shadows on the wall. Or they're like reflections that you see behind a window. They're not, you know, this uh, full body, you know, apparition. I would like to be around that lady whenever she sees this so-called vision so I could... I, I, so I could explain away why it's not what she thinks it is. Oh, so like, so so like when she sees those kids and, and like I actually thought about that. Like, what if you know the scenario was you know, and I'm I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything. I'm just it's just a what if sort of you know play you know playing around kind of scenario where what if you know she thought that those kids that she saw that one night that were like dead and didn't know you know uh, that they were dead and needed to go on. And she's like, you're dead. You need to, to go on. And they're like, no, we're trying to find our way home. <laughs> or like, she's like, oh, there's a shadow on the wall. And I'm like, lady, you, you see that tree branch in the window there? Uh, that's called a shadow that it's casting on the wall. That That's not a spirit. I, uh, I, I don't know. hate to bust I, your I mean, bubble there. I, I'm pretty sure she probably knows what a shadow on the wall is. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... My complete lack of ever seeing any of this shit myself in my lifetime just kind of, I don't know, just kind of leads me to believe that, like, uh, you know. You're not as open to it, it's, it, you know, yeah, but as, see, but, as someone. But to say you're open to it kind of, it, 
it kind of creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. If you say I'm open to it, then you're expecting to see it. So any little thing that happens, you could chalk it up to this paranormal experience rather than being in the real world and being like, like, oh, this is just whatever. Well, yeah. Like, for instance, with that one uh, uh, man who's who didn't know that his mother didn't make it, but he saw like what he thought was his mother, like sitting in a wheelchair and he was took a photo and, and then it wasn't his mom. Yeah. Things like that. Like maybe he was just thinking of his mom and, you know, in that particular instance, you know, his brain decided to, uh, you know, put his mom's face on this woman. I mean, the brain does weird things sometimes. I mean, when people um, get to a certain age, I mean, they all start kind of looking pretty much. Babies and old people are, oh. are, 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 are kind of the same. I didn't, no, I didn't say one oh. nationality. Don't do your controversial woes at me, Mike. I didn't say one nationality. No, I'm just same. saying it, it doesn't have to do with nationalities. I'm just saying, like, everybody starts to look the same, you know, just because I mean, dude, age okay. differently. Look, look at a fucking newborn baby. They all look very fucking similar. And I'm sure there's people out there going, oh, actually, no, they don't. Fine, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to my fucking opinion. And I feel the same way about old people. When people start getting old, they, they you know, they're just, just their, the, the, the defining features kind of meld away under wrinkly skin and fat folds, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just being honest. I don't fuck you. This expert I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as nice as Mike is this week, okay? Mike's feeling extra generous and nice. And I am I am not. I am a crabby, bitter old cunt. <laughs> so it's a nice contrast between the two personalities. But yeah. Uh you weren't like this during Thanksgiving, were you? Uh I was a ray of fucking sunshine during Thanksgiving. <laughs> um I was delightful. What did I do? Oh, I fucking Went out to Eclipse, this bar that I go to. I went there after Thanksgiving. Isn't that the one that you uh, did a design for? Yeah. Yeah, I went there. There was like six people at the bar. It was kind of lame. And I drank for no reason. I didn't have to. I should have just went home and worked on music. But I was like, well, it's Thanksgiving. I'm bored. Blah, blah, blah. So tonight, since we're... You know, recording on Thursday, I am staying the fuck in. I'm being productive. I am not going out or doing anything like that. I am staying home. I've been drinking way too much lately. I've been going out too much. Um, this whole pandemic has just thrown my whole routine for a loop. Uh, I like to get into systems and, you know, routines. And it's, it's just, shit's been crazy for me because... During the lockdown, I was going ape shit because I was stuck in my house all the time and that I craved, I hungered for going out and having human experiences. Now I'm working like five days a week uh, doing all these weddings and karaoke gigs and shit. Now I'm like stressed out in the other way. I'm like, I feel like I'm never home. I feel like I'm going out too much. I, I, I have kind of an overdose of humanity at this point. So would you say that it's a tidal wave of emotions and anxiety right now? It's a tsunami of uh, emotions, I would say. That was brought on by the earthquake of fucking COVID. Man, they cannot get that goddamn vaccine out soon enough. Not like you or I will see the light of day with the vaccine anytime soon. We're like the lowest on the food chain that's going to get that shit. Mm-hmm. Unless you, unless you, all of a sudden you get a job working as a nurse, then then you might get it. Mike, but I don't, I don't know. You don't, I don't see you wearing uh, 
uh, scrubs. I, I, I know nurses don't even wear the same wear, but that 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 uh, stereotypical nurses outfit from like the fifties oh with the, the white skirt and the white shirt and the red cross <laughs> hanging the hat. I don't see you looking too good in that. Yeah, I don't think that would be uh, very flattering for I do. my particular figure. I will just say, though, <laughs> women in scrubs, I don't know what it is. I, I, man, it just... You could take an average-looking average chick and put her in a pair of scrubs, and to me, all of a sudden, she's hot, hot as hell. I don't know. That's some weird fetish of mine. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, Alrighty. And I don't know what it is, but the scrubs, <laughs> like the pants, I don't know what material they have. They make women's asses look amazing. I swear, every... Every woman has an ass when they wear scrubs. Like, I, I, it just, and, it, and the top, like, hugs their figure so well. It's like, anytime I'm, like, out and about and I see someone, like, maybe I'm at, like, Target or something, I see a chick walk in, she's wearing scrubs, I'm like, you're gorgeous, will you marry me? Like, I don't know. It's just how I feel about scrubs. Anyway, uh, I, I guess we don't have anything else to say about the tsunami spirit. No. Because we're talking about women in scrubs, we're talking about all different types of stuff. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, we got some more one stars recently about how we just go on too much about blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's to be expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we we, we stopped trying to, like, improve uh, anything uh, a long time ago. Uh, that's actually a lie. Um, the intros aren't as long as they used to be, believe it or not. Um, I do cut out a lot. There's a lot of stuff that we talk about that you guys don't hear. And don't worry, it's nothing, you know, juicy or anything. It's just like, eh. Well, actually, sometimes it is kind of controversial stuff, so I, I take it back. Um, but yeah, and, and, and I've, I've edited, you know, I edit together shit a lot of times. There's a lot of dead air on these podcasts a lot of times, and you guys never even know it, because most of the time I catch it, and then sometimes I completely fuck up the syncing, and then you get last week's episode. But, it, but that doesn't happen very often. Like no, that's the first, that's the first uh, like, time that's really ever happened. major uh, audio uh, technical problem. Yeah, that I, and, that I've seen. and that happened because I was splicing together two parts because I was trying to remove this long uh, portion of silence. And I think I, I might have accidentally grabbed only my track or only your track. And I, you know, and, and by doing that, it, it made every all, all the other audio off later down the line. I don't fucking know. But anyway, it shouldn't shouldn't happen again. Fingers crossed. Um, moving on to our next case, we have the um, House of Terror from season one. Uh, I, I was scolded and or chided by our resident uh, Canadian listener, Morgan. Uh, she's like, just watch the damn episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that she just sent you a text that she just like just watch the damn episode. Yeah, because like Josh. I was talking about, how I don't like the subtitles and all that, and you know she's like just watch the damn episode. It's it's really good, and it's like all right, you know, fine, whatever. And, and I actually just watched it today as I was eating lunch, and um, no, it was good. It I just like I said before, if I magically just knew French and could like listen to it and not have to read it, it would have been more enjoyable. But that again, I'm sounding more and more like the stereotypical stupid American right now. And you know what? Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Um, kind of a long, long one on this one. So strap yourselves in. Cause I'm yeah, about because to- for once, uh, the Wikia actually is pretty, uh, detailed for uh, a new unsolved mysteries case. Yes, you're, I feel like you're about to get an audiobook's worth of uh, info dropped on you right now. So, uh, yeah, be prepared for that. So, Count Xavier Dupont de Ligonnet 
is wanted for the murders of his wife, Agnes, their children, Thomas, Anne, and Benoit, and his stepson, Arthur. And I'm not even going to try to do any of the French, French pronunciations, because I think, I think the French pronunciation was Tom, Anne, Benoit, Arthur. I don't know. Uh, the family lived at 55 Schumann Boulevard in an upper-middle-class neighborhood in Nantes. Nantes? Nantes? I don't know. Nantes? I think it's like Nantes. Nantes. Situated in the west of France on the Atlantic coast, their neighbor, Estelle Chapon, did some work for the family, doing alterations for Agnes and ironing for Xavier. She, uh, she saw the family regularly and recalled that their house was very lively and busy. Xavier was a successful businessman, supposedly, uh, known for being uh, comfortable communicating with people and being quick to laugh. Agnes worked in a Catholic school. 20-year-old Arthur went to a private Catholic college. 18-year-old Thomas was shy. He studied musicology and was known to be passionate about music. 16-year-old Anne modeled for mail-order catalogs. She was a good student that studied at La Pavière, La Pavarie, a private Catholic school. And 13-year-old Benoit also went there. He enjoyed playing the drums. Now, uh, when it comes to uh, Savior, um, I find it interesting Like that they were talking about him. And like he was just very good with talking with, uh, with other people. And he, he was very quick to laugh. Was there anything else that you remembered about him? <laughs> um. Uh, yes, uh, Mike, he liked eating food, I, he liked sleeping, and uh, he took showers, <laughs> you know? That's what I remember about Mike. Um, he really liked to do but those I, But those I find things. that interesting that, you know, when people are talking about um, individuals that they know, they tend to just, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, is how they communicate, instead of, you know, what they were into, or what they liked, or, you know, all those sort of things. I guess that's their their way of saying he wasn't he was not a shy person. He was like, yeah. you know, people a people person. I think there was probably a little bit that was lost in translation with this probably where yeah. they they might have said a phrase that doesn't exist in English, so they just had to kind of uh, equate it the best they could, you know. So anyway, um at around 2 p.m. on Monday, April 11th, 2001, Estelle noticed that the family's house was closed up. On the mailbox, there was a note that said, stop leaving mail there. And that's so uh, bizarre. Yeah. Like, once they got to that point, I was, I, I really got uh, interested and intrigued by this case. Because I was like, huh? Yeah. Uh, she also noticed that the shutters and the windows were closed. Uh, she felt something was wrong because the shutters were always open, even when they went on vacation. For the next two days, she noticed the same thing. Concerned, she called the police. On Wednesday, April 13th, the police arrived to check on the house. They noticed that the front door was locked and the shutters were still closed. They had a locksmith open the door, which is something I feel like you could only do in France, because in America, you would need a warrant to do that, I want to say. Uh, unless it's a welfare check, but someone has to answer the door for that. They can't just... they In the U U.S., you can't just, you know, break into someone's house, which is technically what that was. Um, if, and just bust in. Yeah, if there's no, and just take a look. If, yeah, if there's take no a look around, if there's no like means or reason to do so. Once inside, they found that basically everything in the house was in its place. There were some bedrooms where the sheets had been removed. Some closets were also opened. The police believe that the family had left voluntarily, 
There was nothing out of the ordinary that led them to launch a formal investigation. Estelle, however, still believed that something was wrong. She noticed that all of their cars, except for the C5, were still there. She knew that the entire family, along with their dogs and bags, could not fit in that car. The police, however, did not believe that anything was wrong. The next day, several friends and relatives received letters from Xavier and Agnes. They stated, As you know, I've had links with the U.S. The Americans have recruited me to infiltrate an international drug ring. This will be hard. You won't see us for a long time, as we're going to change identity, be under protection, and won't be reachable at all. Starting That doesn't sound suspicious n- at all. No. Starting to sound <laughs> like bullshit, slightly. Um... Some loved ones were confused by the letters. However, they knew that the couple was respectable and they did not believe that they would lie. Xavier's friend... Oh, there's an Unsolved Mysteries trope uh, uh, again yeah. right there. Oh, there's no way that they could lie to us. Xavier's friend, Bruno D. Stabenrath. Sounds like a porn star's last name. Stabenrath? Br- Bruno D. Stabenrath. <laughs> or, or like, uh, you know, some kind of... Uh, uh, <laughs> Dick D and D character. D- Dick Van screws a lot. Um, uh, he believed that uh, they were telling the truth. The good friend, uh, good old Bruno Stabenrath, here believed they were telling the truth. And this guy's brought up a lot in this uh, in this case, I guess, as as the uh, op- opposition, the voice of uh, yeah. not not thinking that Xavier is a uh, liar or a bad person. Well, actually, he does ultimately come to that conclusion yeah, I'll get to at that. the end of uh, of the episode. Mike loves ruining us, uh, spoiling cases, folks. Oh, uh, whatever. I mean, most people who are listening to this have already seen this. Well, case let's just not even bother did. doing it at all then. Fuck it. <laughs> now I'm mad. Anyway, the two had originally met in Versailles, The uh, Bruno and uh, Xavier. They met in Versailles in the mid-1970s. When Xavier was 16, uh, the two were neighbors and immediately became best friends. Both were from noble families. Xavier's family was especially prestigious. His father was a count. The Count Dupont de Ligeonet. These motherfuckers sound so fancy over there with their, their yeah. Count Dupont de Ligeonet. I mean, Jesus. Did he live in a fucking castle with a moat? Like, it's, it's like... It's st- it's it's like the still the 1600s over there or something. It's like so- his family had musketeers, three of them to they be even exact. had a castle in the center of France, and there was a signet ring with the family uh, coat of arms and a motto. And apparently, all of that was very important to Xavier. He had musketeers. Meanwhile, all we had growing up was Snickers. Um, that was a bad joke. I'm moving on. Um. His, to be honest, I'd rather have Snickers than Three Musketeers. Yeah, Three Musketeers sucks. That's such a such a bare, barely a, a chocolate delight. For those of you who don't know who don't live in this country, a Three Musketeers bar is just chocolate, chocolate bar, thin, thin layer of chocolate with nougat in the middle, and that's it. It's light and fluffy, and it's just, nah. I think the nougat has some chocolate in it, too, but it's barely even... <clears throat> It's edible. I'll give it that. Yeah. It's definitely not one of my favorites. Anyway. Uh, his family had musketeers, a castle. Okay, so they did have a fucking castle in the center of France. Yeah. And a signet ring with the family's coat of arms and motto. All of it was very important to him. I almost feel like the person who wrote this wiki article literally almost transcribed the episode. Because like this is kind of like 
almost verbatim what they said. That's fine. Yeah, that's I fun. mean, that's better than, you know, what we were getting with the other stuff from Unsolved, which is out of order and not as detailed. You know, uh, the official Unsolved Mysteries on Twitter is following us now, so I think that it's possible that they heard our podcast, heard us reading off their Unsolved, and they're like, you know what? This one podcast, man, we got to screw them again. <laughs> well, we got we to gotta starve them. For these uh, synopsises, we got to make them crappy and, and, and badly typed and written, so throw oh, them off. Oh, my God. That's it. See, Mike, I'm putting the, the all the puzzle pieces together. It's all That'd be great conspiracy. if that's the case. They, they, they uh, think we're that special. I just want to send John Cosgrove a letter that just says, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, why are you mad? Yeah. Why are you mad, brah? <laughs> So, um, Xavier and Agnes met in the early 1980s. He was 20 and she was about 17. The two fell in love quickly. She was from a traditional conservative background. When Xavier introduced her to Bruno, he could tell that they were both very much in love. However, Xavier longed for adventure and wanted to seek new horizons. Uh, He broke up with Agnes and left to go traveling. One year later, he returned to Versailles and learned that Agnes was pregnant with someone else's child. To Bruno's surprise, Xavier Xavier chose to marry Agnes and adopt her child, giving him his prestigious last name and also becoming a cuck. Marrying an unwed mother was almost unheard of in Versailles at the time. The two then built a loving family. Because of Xavier's exceptional status, I feel like uh, with talking about this high society shit, I gotta say status instead of status. Uh, Many of his friends and relatives believed his story from the letters. However, Agnes's family was more skeptical. They sent the letter to the Nantes district attorney saying that they did not believe his story and did not believe that Agnes would leave without telling them or giving them a call. On April 15th, the police returned to their house to conduct a more thorough investigation. They discovered that the photos were missing from their frames. However, there was nothing else suspicious in the house. Uh, how you would not have noticed that in your first... The first time around, uh, I know. Yeah, is, ...is beyond me, especially if it's laid out how they show it in the reenactment, where it's literally pictures on the staircase wall that are blank. So there are just... That was so creepy. Yeah, there are just essentially picture frames on the wall, yeah. Like, can you imagine just going over to your friend's house or something, and then, like, just all the pictures are just gone, there's nothing, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty freaky. Huh? It'd be freaky to uh, go to a friend's house and see, like, physical pictures nowadays if they're my yeah. age. <laughs> it's like, whoa! Be like, you check- How'd you even get these you che- printed? <laughs> you check their phone and, and their, their photo roll and there's nothing on yeah, it. Yeah, that would be the equivalent. I check, I check the camera roll on their iPhone and there are no pictures. Whoa, freaky man! He never took one single picture or he deleted all of them. Uh, Agnes's family continued to put pressure on the police certain that the family did not simply leave. On April 18th, the police visited the house for a third time. On April 19th, they visited a fourth time. By their fifth visit on April 20th, they still had not observed anything unusual. I mean, this is insane. Like, are are they uh, bad police? Or are they incompetent? Or are they just, or do they not give as much of a shit? Like, are they just like, all right, whatever. Uh, we're gonna go and check the count's house uh, again, or the count's son's house again. Uh, we didn't find shit the last time around, but you know, all right, we gotta, we gotta. They're still missing, so we need to. So we gotta. We're obligated to go check. 
I'm assuming because like, I mean, like six times. I'm assuming that this is because of the prominence, quote unquote, of this family. Yeah, because maybe, yeah. I mean, if I'm a taxpayer and I'm hearing about this, I'm like, yo, stop checking their fucking house. There ain't nothing there. <laughs> you're wasting my money, like, because yeah. uh, you know you're all getting paid hourly. I'm sure for going and doing your little searches every fucking day. Um, so, however, on their sixth visit on April 21st. The police lieutenant found something odd under the terrace in the how garden. How did they not find that? The, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, how do you not find anything under the terrace? Like, how do you not look under the terrace? I can, like, on I your can first see how they would have missed visit. it. I mean, if it was if it went down, how they showed it in the reenactment. Okay, maybe not the first time, but, you know, like uh, the second or third time, I would think. I don't know. I mean, they show it. Would... They show a terrace, which is basically it's like a back porch is how I'll put it. It's like a back porch, but instead of wood, it's like stone. And then there's like this enclave under the stone porch where they have like dog bowls and, you know, shit like that. And the cop, it kind of like kicks the dog bowl and it kind of reveals a board, like a piece of like tuba uh, or a piece of um, plywood. And uh-huh. he starts kicking around that and he, and he kind of like, you know, squats down and, and like lifts it up. And um, that's when they discover. I think it was a female cop too. I could be wrong though, but like, you know. But yeah, uh, it was, so it, it, that same day, the district attorney held a press conference at the courthouse. He stated that the family's disappearance was unusual, and they were going to open an investigation into the case. But suddenly, the DA halted the press conference and answered the phone. He learned that while the police were digging under the terrace, they discovered large plastic trash bags that were bound with tape. Inside the bags were several bodies. They were wrapped. I mean, that's what that's what I'm saying, you know, in terms of like not checking under there. Like, I I mean, maybe it's just how they're trained or something. I don't know. I, I mean, go and watch the episode. If you're listening, go and watch the episode. I feel like I can understand why they, it would have taken them a long time to find that personally. Mike, well, Mike mean, doesn't seem to think so. Yeah, I, I don't think so because it's like one of those things where don't you like check like everything and wouldn't one of the most obvious places to maybe bury, you know, bodies is under the terrace. If you're going in there as though it's like a homicide investigation, then yes. But if you're going there with the assumption that it's not a homicide investigation, the family's just gone. You're not really gonna. Yeah. You're not really gonna do that. Yeah. Okay. Finally, talk some sense into you. <laughs> so anyway, the bodies were wrapped in blankets and duvets then tied up and put into bags. A small religious icon was found next to each body, such as a small candle or cross. This indicated that the perpetrator was imitating a religious burial. It also showed an affectionate bond between the perpetrator and the buried bodies. Oh, This was honestly pretty sick. So affectionate, you, it, you know. So f- pretty twisted. Like It's like supposed to be something uh, that's showing affection, but it's like something so incredibly twisted to me. You know, to make something like that, you know, just a candle and a cross, you know, some that people use for like a vigil and then, you know, to put it there, you know, next to the bodies of people that you fucking murdered with your bare hand. You know, it's like it doesn't seem like it's really that uh, uh, genuine. 
I, you know, I guess I, I guess he's trying to cover, you know, like uh, mind his P's and Q's in case. Uh, That's what I mean. In, in, yeah. in the chance that there is an afterlife, you know, in his mind, it's like, well, I mean, I yeah, I shot him in the head, but I put, I put the candle on him. I can go to heaven for that, right? I mean, get the fuck out of here! Yeah, exactly. Get out of my get out of my courtroom. You're going to hell. <laughs> So, uh, the first grave contained the bodies of Agnes, Arthur, Benoit, and Anne. The two dogs were also buried. He fucking killed the dogs. I know, Jesus yeah, Christ, like, man. why? Like, why, period, for all of it, really? Yeah. Like, um, the body of Thomas was found in a separate grave. Xavier's body was not found, however. From that point forward, the, pre- uh, the... From that point forward, he became the prime suspect. Having discovered that he had disappeared, the investigating judge issued a warrant and sent it to all member countries of Interpol. This is known as an international warrant. However, for many friends, it was impossible. It was impossible to believe that he was a murderer. Inconceivable. (laughs) I feel like that would be a good Keith Morrison red line. However, for many friends, it was impossible to believe that he was a murderer. They felt they knew him well enough that it was not possible that he could have done it. It was noticed, noted that the space between the terrace and the ground was very low and small. Xavier had terrible back pain. He always complained about having a bad back, which kept him from bending. It seemed impossible for him to have dug the holes underneath the terrace. Bruno could not believe that his friend was capable of murder. He recalled that when he was in a car accident, Xavier was there by his side and helped him recover. To him, he was a good guy. Xavier was known to have the characteristic of a father hen. He made sure to be very present in his children's lives. According to those close to him, he cared for his children and was concerned about them. It did not seem possible that he would kill them and his wife. I'm sorry, I just feel like this story is ripe for a Keith Morrison-type read, so I just have to keep going with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get what you mean. Um, father hen, that's a cultural difference for sure. Yeah, you don't really hear that term. Uh, although they never said that in the actual episode. Uh, that's just kind of something that they put uh, here on no, the... No, I thought he did. Like, it, like the... Uh, his friend was saying that he was some somewhat of, you know, like a father. Oh, maybe he did. I don't fucking remember. And, yeah. As the family's loved ones mourned, the police began an investigation into their deaths. From the autopsy, they found sleeping pills in the children's viscera. This meant they were put to sleep. Agnes did not have drugs in her system. However, she did have sleep apnea machine, which helped her sleep. It was discovered that her machine stopped suddenly at 3 a.m., on the morning of April 3rd or 4th. It is believed that she was killed first, then the children each were killed. Each victim was killed by two bullets to the head. The bullets extracted from the bodies had been shot from a 22 caliber long rifle. Surprisingly, neighbors were not awoken by any gunshots. The murders were considered to be a methodical execution. The victims were all in their pajamas, so it is believed that they were killed while they slept in their beds. Strangely, there was no trace of blood in the bedrooms. Also, there was no trace of blood in the living room, foyer, or bathroom. There was no blood found on any walls, furniture, or floors. It was difficult to understand how someone could kill five people in a house and leave no trace of evidence behind. Yeah, that's one of the things about this uh, case that is uh, pretty puzzling. One of the many things. 
like how he was able to do that. Like, did he hi- did he actually hire somebody to uh, do these killings? Did he kill them in a different location, and and then you know uh, buried them under the foyer, um, um, or foyer? I think that's how you say it. I think I say foyer because I'm from America. I'm built for tough like my dick. <laughs> Can you imagine like that's the host of a crime show is just the big fucking truck guy. <laughs> ah, so 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 look here. This is what happened. This son bitch done buried two bullets with a twenty two caliber inside his kid's head. What a sick fuck. I can see shooting your son on a deer hunting trip as an accident, but doing that shit on purpose, oh, this motherfucker's gonna burn in hell. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, he he uh, he possibly could have, um, I don't know, wrapped a blanket around their head or something or around the barrel. There's ways to do it, I feel. I don't know. Yeah, there's ways to do it, but for someone who's not experience yeah i don't know man yeah that is one of the mysteries of of uh the uh, the lack of any evidence because even at the end of the episode they say we just you know if you have any info as to where this dude's at police would like to speak to him they're not saying like they want his ass in jail they're like oh we just we just want to have a simple conversation yeah because nothing is tying necessarily tying him to their murder yeah no there's no hard evidence that's tying him, you know, directly to it. It's, you know, there's some it, it, very. It, it seems like there's some very circumstantial evidence coming up, though. Yes, but it seems like you know the circumstantial evidence seems pretty strong in terms of like pointing towards mm-hmm. that direction. But when you're when you're talking about, uh, you know, the actual hard evidence, they really. I mean, they didn't find any fingerprints or DNA from anyone on the scene of the crime. At that point, there was still no there was still no absolute physical proof implicating Xavier. At the age of 50, he had never had any problems with the law. It was difficult to understand how he could have been a criminal mastermind. Bruno noted that with killing his three sons, Xavier was also killing his lineage. For the French nobility and the aristocratic world, this would have been dreadful because he would have been terminating his lineage and there would be no one to carry his name. Jean-Marc Bloch, former chief of staff for the Paris police, noted that the family gave the impression of being a wholesome family, with children in private schools and a nice house. However, once investigators looked further into Xavier's life, they discovered that he did not lead the life that he was pretending to lead. In the early 2000s, a family tried to relocate to Florida. Ayo, Florida! Who doesn't want to live in Florida, though? However, it was not successful. They thought that the move would have been simple, but it was not. They eventually moved back to France. As re- so I guess uh, they couldn't even uh, get into Florida. This fucking psycho could have potentially lived in Jacksonville. That would have been great. Um, as a result, the failed move, the family uh, spent nearly all of their money. According to Bruno, during the last 10 years, from 2001 to 2011, Xavier was, quote, in a downward spiral of failure. Wow, that he minces no words on that one. They lost a great amount of money. There were bail, uh, bailiffs on his back, along with many other problems. Xavier claimed to be a business owner, creating successful companies, traveling across France, and being a busy businessman. The truth was that his companies were never really successful. 
Shortly before the murders, he discovered that they were almost out of money, and he would have to leave their house and face serious consequences. As a result, he would be exposed as someone unsuccessful. Bruno recalled that Xavier was vain, proud, and would not want to lose face. It is believed that he did not want his children to find out that he had no money, as if he was... I mean, what a selfish fucking thing to do. Like, oh, I don't want my children to find out that I don't have any money anymore, so I'm going to shoot them in the fucking head. Yeah, pretty sure if it came down to, uh, hey, sport, uh, this Christmas, do you either want a place or uh do you want to survive and not get the playstation 5 or did you want me to just kill you and you know you don't have to worry about it i'm pretty sure the kid would choose to live and not have the ps5 but you know i I guess i guess that choice wasn't up to them according to this guy um it was as if he was on a mission to quote-unquote save his children from finding out that their father did not have the life that people thought he had. Yeah, they be, they would be upset. They would probably be a, a little mad. Daddy! But, where's my diamond ring this week? You don't have it, you piece of shit lip-dick failure! <laughs> yeah, I don't think sh- I don't think that would have happened. But, I don't know. <laughs> lip-dick! <laughs> The least you could do would be to have a hard, throbbing, turgid erection. Um, yeah, that got weird. Um, so anyway. Yeah, what? Dude. (laughs) I'm not editing that out, Mike. Just, just know that. Just know that that's going to make the final cut. And be, and just have that knowledge. Three months before the murders on January 20th, 2011, Xavier's father... Hubert died of a heart attack. Xavier took on the task of clearing out his apartment, sorting through his personal belongings. And uh, Herbert's neighbor, Michael Calvi, recalled that Xavier tried to recover a Count's signet ring that had belonged to Hubert. He also tried to find out if there was any money set aside. However, he did not find anything. Hubert had also been having money troubles for several years. Man, these Counts sure don't know how to count their fucking money. Um, No. Sadly, maybe they needed to hire the count from Sesame Street. Yeah, or an accountant. Ayo. <laughs> Sadly, uh, Hubert's life also ended in illness, loneliness, and poverty. It is believed that Xavier Field feared that the same thing would happen to him. I mean, it wouldn't end in loneliness. You have a fucking four kids. Uh, while in Hubert's apartment, Xavier discovered a twenty-two caliber long rifle. Michael recalled that when he last saw Xavier, he had a very, quote, dark look in his eyes. On February 2nd, Xavier obtained his firearms license. Prior to obtaining the rifle, his friends recalled that he had no interest in weapons. However, after he inherited the rifle, he learned how to shoot. Speaking of dark looks in eyes, uh, that old photo you shared of you, like, waiting to go to work at CVS. Oh, yeah. I had pretty dark look in my eye there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's a dark look. That was a... That's for sure. That was a, I got, like, four hours of sleep and definitely drank the <laughs> night before. Because back in those days, I drank every single night. I mean, it was, like, just no... There was no, like, debating. It was just... It was going to happen. Uh, anyway, 
motherfucker Xavier, he started going to the shooting range with his two sons. He asked several questions to his instructor, one of which was about using a silencer. On March 12th, he bought a silencer to fit the rifle. It is believed that he used this to shoot his family without alerting the neighbors. It's very hard to obtain a silencer in the United States, by the way. I guess it's easier in France. Or maybe it's not easy, but if you're a count, it's easy. Even though they're not good with their money, apparently. Police believe that Thomas was not killed at the same time as his mother and siblings. Thomas is the oldest son. The whole family was home on Saturday, April 2nd, and Sunday, April 3rd. However, Thomas... I don't... I don't know if he was the oldest son. He was. I think he, he was, was like his. He was the oldest. That he was. He was the. I thought it was Arthur. He was the heir. Who was like the adopted? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arthur was older, I think, and he was the adopted. Well, whatever. Son. He was. Thomas was the one who was the heir. So. Oh yeah, he was the one who was the heir. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, Thomas <laughs> left that weekend to go back to his Catholic school. So he was away when the um, El Murderos started happening. Uh, his mother and siblings were murdered during the night of Sunday into Monday. On Tuesday, Xavier told Thomas, listen, you have to come back. Your mother has had a serious a, a bicycle accident. She's in a hospital in a coma. We don't know if she'll come out of it. It's very serious. You need to come home. On Tuesday evening, Thomas returned home. He was last heard from at midnight when he sent a text to a friend. His friend responded to his message shortly after. However, Thomas never responded back. It is believed that he was drugged at that time. He was never seen or heard from after that. He is believed to have been killed during the night of Tuesday into Wednesday. He was then buried in a separate grave. It is suspected that Xavier hesitated in killing him because he was his eldest biological son and heir. Mm -hmm. As the bodies of the family were discovered, police searched for Xavier, the prime suspect. By then, it was April 21st and they had not been seen since April 4th. As a result, three weeks had passed without a search. Police searched hotels and restaurants around France. On April 22nd, they found his car in the parking lot of a small Formula One hotel in the Rokenbrunes sur Arganes in the south. After they found his car, police reconstructed the week prior to the disappearances. The murders of the family took place on the nights of April 3rd and 5th. The police discovered that Xavier spent the whole week inside the house. He was seen alone by acquaintances in Nantes. One week after the murders on April 10th, he took his car and left Nantes. While driving between Nantes and La Rochelle, his car got flashed by a speed camera. Around noon, he went to a restaurant. This is verified by the credit card's timestamp. Uh, that evening, he checked into a hotel room in La Rochelle. The next day, he headed southwest. Although, according to police, Xavier was fleeing during this time period, it did not appear that he was going very fast. Uh, he was also not hiding. He withdrew money with his bank card and was recorded on security cameras. He also went to several restaurants and used his credit cards there. This behavior was noted as strange since he took a great amount of caution and work around the crime scene to fool investigators. There was speculation that he might have been planning to kill himself as family member as family murderers often do. It says sometimes. Or do. he's just a selfish uh, uh, bastard who's just like, oh, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to go on the lamb. I'm getting ready to go on the run. Or or he's just like or he's smarter than a lot of people think. And he's got some shrewd ways of. Uh, uh, tricking uh, the police and keeping him off his trail. 
making them think that he's going to kill himself. Uh, but in actuality, it, it, he's uh, fleeing the country. So, police believed that his flight may have been a goodbye to his past. Some of the areas he visited were places that he and Agnes lived during the first years of their marriage. Which, this part makes me really sad, because it's like, yeah. dude, you know... Uh, other areas were places where the children had been born. It was noted that these were places where he had spent happier times in his life. You didn't have to kill him, man. You still could have had happy times. Exactly. Money isn't everything, you stupid fucking idiot. Yep. Oh, God. But it's not just money. It, it, it's it's the lineage. It's it's power. It's ego. Such, uh, such a cult mentality. It, it's like the money was important but with the money comes the the importance you know uh, of of his uh name and you know without that he's nothing i'll never understand the um <clears throat> I, the obsession I, with title I, I get, you I, know the obsession yeah i guess I know. the only thing i can equate it to was when i you know, music it saved me in a lot of ways in my life. It gave me all the confidence and, and self-esteem when I really needed that. It was the friend that never let me down and really, like, helped me out a lot as a teenager. And so when I started joining bands, it became so... Um, it became such a part of my identity because I really didn't like myself outside of my musical ability. So really, the only thing I was, wor I was worth a shit for was my musical ability so when I joined these bands, it was like my identity. I'm the guitar player in such and such band, and that gives me all my self-worth. And I guess it would be like me at that, or even now to, the, to, to, to this day, you know, I'm in Dancing with Ghosts, you know, and that's a big part of who I am. It might be the biggest part of who I am. And that would be like stripping all that away, and then it's like, well, who am I at this point? You know, what am I going to do with my life? And I, I guess it would be like that, like, but like times 100 for you to actually want to kill your fucking family. I mean, I could understand suicide, but why? I mean, I don't know, man. I just I just I don't understand that whole lineage. I don't get it. They're just the aristocracy. They're just selfish. I mean, it's, it's a it's a selfish mindset, you know, uh, that. He he clearly wasn't even thinking about, uh, you know, his uh, his his kids or or his wife or the two dogs that like the dogs don't give a fuck. Yeah, they don't, dogs care, don't care about lineages. Just let the gate out and let them roam free in the street. At least let them live their best life. So the last known stop he made was Roca Bruna Sir Argens. That's a hard one to say. He spent the night of April 14th at a Formula One hotel. Surveillance cameras showed him crossing the hotel parking lot carrying a bag. At the bottom of the bag was a long object. Investigators believed that it was the rifle he used to kill his family. That's a sentence that you, you don't really like reading. Um, the surveillance camera captured the last known sighting of Xavier, which occurred on April 15th, 2011. Bruno noted... I think the rifle is one of the main things that connects him to the murders. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, the, it was the same uh, caliber bullet that was found in their bodies. And, and he fucking left. 
you know, right yeah. as they died. I mean, it's just kind of like, like I mean, pretty, pretty, you know, that's a pretty cut and dry circumstantial evidence. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, Some really, really solid circumstantial yeah, I mean, evidence. Like, well, there isn't like hard, uh, you know, DNA evidence or fingerprints or you know, carbon fiber or whatever. Um, it, the circumstantial evidence in this particular case is pretty strong. So, uh, Bruno noted that the Roca Brun Sir Argens is surrounded by cliffs and a mountain. This has led some to believe that he walked into the mountains and committed suicide. The police believed this theory and searched the area for several weeks. They searched holes, caves, and crevices, but no trace of him was found. There was, they were certain that he had committed suicide. However, some people, like journalist Anne-Sophie Martin believe that he has fooled everyone and fled. In most family murder cases, the perpetrator commits suicide on the spot. However, in some cases, the perpetrator goes on the run. And Sophie notes that Xavier put a great amount of effort into deceiving the investigators at the crime scene. She believes that he did this in order to buy himself more time. Bruno believes that he deceived the police twice, first by hiding his his family's bodies really well, and then by making it seem like he had committed suicide. Jean-Marc noted that there is little evidence to determine what happened to Xavier after he left the hotel. He did not buy any plane or train tickets under his name, and there there were no cars that disappeared or were rented. And Sophie, however, pointed out that it could have been easy for him to have taken a boat and left the area since since the sea was only 30 kilometers away. He also could have taken a highway or mountain path to Italy... Also, he could have taken a train to Croatia or another country. Isn't that crazy? Like how many like different options you could you could have to flee, you know, from this one spot in France. I just want to go like fuck around in those that mountainous forest area that they showed in the reenactment. That 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 should look beautiful on top of this fucking cliff. Like pretty uh, picturesque to say the least. We don't have anything like that in Florida. Unfortunately, we just have stupid. You, you, we have stupid sunny beaches and palm trees. That's it. <laughs> Do you have any like man-made cliffs or or you know stuff like that? Honestly, not really. You have to go to Georgia to see any kind of like mountainous terrain or cliffs. That we are pretty uh, flat. I mean, there's probably some indoor like stuff in like a water park or something, but that's not a real cliff. Well, technically. Universal Studios, where they filmed that show, uh, what, what was it, the, where they had the super super aggro crag, uh, Guts, oh, or whatever, oh, guts. <laughs> yeah. and they had to climb it, and that was pretty mountainous, yeah. and that was in Orlando, so, so technically, we did have a mountain man-made, but still, uh, I miss those Nickelodeon guts. teen sports shows, they were pretty good. Um, or uh, Legends of the Legend, Hidden Temple. Yo, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Man, you don't, you don't know how bad I wanted to go through that temple. I thought I, I thought <laughs> I could do such a better job than those kids. I was like, man, these kids suck. I could have done so much better. But well, yeah, like when you watch that show, like you, there's so many episodes of that show where they get to the final whatever thing and like they never figure out the puzzle. Oh yeah, that was so, that gave me so much anxiety as a kid. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, because oh it's like you have to. Not only did you have to work your way through this maze. With all these traps, but there was you had to also solve some fucking puzzle or open something that was yeah. tedious. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Anne Sophie believes that Xavier is still alive. She believes that he is in Latin America because uh, he is bilingual. 
She said that his English is very good and his Spanish is pretty good as well. Bruno believes that uh, he went to either Hamburg or Tangiers and took a cargo ship. He believes that he then went to somewhere in Latin America, possibly Argentina. Jean-Marc points out that one problem with the case is that Xavier, quote, looks a bit like everybody else with no strong features. He is of average height and physically does not stand out. Bruno wonders how Xavier can live with himself knowing that he has taken the lives of his wife and children. And I wonder the same thing. The police and the victims, loved ones, want to find him dead or alive. As of now, Xavier is wanted for questioning in connection with... They just want to They just want to ask him some questions. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so Xavier, dead or alive, you're coming, you're coming with me. With me. <laughs> so in October of 2019, a man believed to be Xavier was arrested in Scotland's Glasgow airport. His fingerprints had partially matched Xavier's. However, DNA testing soon confirmed that he was not Xavier and was released. After the broadcast, several tips were received involving possible sightings of Xavier. One viewer reports seeing a man in Chicago who matched Xavier's description and was speaking French. However, it is not known if the person has been located and identified. And that is true what the um, police chief said about him um, because they show him looking too average. This dude literally has no... Basic. He he looks very basic. He looks like a... The the base model white guy that all white guys have are are molded from. He's like the base level mold for uh, uh, like all he would have to do is is modify his facial hair or the hair on his head in some way, and he could look like some you know. There's a bunch of dudes that look like this guy. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have uh, a Robert Stack tattoo on his bicep, for instance, like someone that you may or may not know. Um, I find it interesting that Bruno was, was still like he's my friend, and and it's like I, I don't I don't know if I would still associate myself with. It's not like he's actually you know uh, flesh and blood, but even if it was flesh and blood, I'd be like I don't want anything that you know like it, it, somebody if if somebody I knew and you know previously cared about did something that horrible like and willingly and it's not like an accident and it's it's premeditated like i'm sorry i haven't yeah i mean at, the, ver- cut them at off. the very least i mean like uh, there there definitely be a uh, hey buddy uh so what was all that whole uh like situation all about you want to uh Fill me in on wh- why you might have thought that that was a good idea and, and, and why I myself should continue to talk to you. Um, and fuck you, you're a piece of shit. Uh, I think those would have been my my yeah. thought processes. Yeah. So apparently uh, there were 900 reported sightings of uh, Xavier uh, from various different parts of the world. Uh, in April 2015, bones were discovered in the Bagnalls and Ferret, uh, but were ultimately linked to someone other than Xavier just weeks later. In July 2015, a nonce uh, journalist received a letter from someone claiming to be Xavier that read, I'm still alive. Ha 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 ha. According to the Huff Post, three years later, police raided a monastery in uh, Rokeburn uh, Sir Argens after people reported seeing Xavier. But it was decided that a local monk was mistakenly identified. Oh man! 
That could have gone. That could have gone bad. Yeah. In October of 2019, another man was mistakenly identified as Dupont during a flight from Paris to Glasgow. Um, there haven't been any major developments in the Dupont case since uh, the particular uh, episode was released. Various Reddit theories align with the statements made by attorney Stephanie Goldstein, an interviewee who suggested Xavier's back problems wouldn't allow him to bury several corpses under a patio, so someone else would have to be the real killer. Um, he could have hired somebody, or like I said, he could have just uh, killed them and then had somebody else bury the bodies. He would have had to have hired someone because the job was just too clean and professional exactly. for it to just be 100%. your random street tough. But then are you also going to go through the trouble of like writing a note and, and, and sending letters yeah. to people saying, oh, we work for yeah. the U.S. government now. And I mean, the guy clearly he wanted and like even his friends, like they were like talking about the letter and they're like, I could hear his voice. The one guy, Bruno, said he, he could hear yeah. him say that. But then everyone else was like this. That doesn't sound like him, but. Like I said, Bruno is kind but of... But that adds another interesting, you know, thing. Like, what if he didn't send those letters? That's an elaborate... That's an elaborate else. way to wipe out a whole family, you know? I mean, that's a little... That's a little more elaborate than I would feel like most it's crimes. A, it's, it's a uh, conspiracy involving, you know, the rival counts. No, I definitely think he... <laughs> yeah. I, I think he wrote the notes. I think he killed his yeah. family and buried... He, But I think... Like he's a very prideful person. He didn't want the family name to be tarnished. He wanted to basically erase themselves. He wanted to erase him and his family off the earth because he was a failure. He was in debt. Uh, everyone was going to find out that he wasn't this prestigious, you know, well-to-do person. That he was just this broke, yeah. you know, scrub like everyone else. And so he just wanted to erase everything. And so he comes yeah. up with this bogus letter, sends it to everyone, so no one searches and um you know erases his family and obviously there's no way he can bury his own body and that would have been discovered and that would have put shame upon the family name so he goes out to this rural ass area and kills himself where he know he's probably looked into it he's probably done his research he knows an area where no one will ever ever find him um and then he, he he offs himself there i just don't see this guy uh who's so intent on not tarnishing his name, uh, killing his family, and then going on the run, knowing that he could get caught at any moment, and that is the ultimate tarnishing of your name. That not only were you, does everyone know how broke and unsuccessful you are, but you killed your whole family. You know, I mean, so I definitely don't think he would have remained alive after doing something like that with how prideful he seems to come off by his actions well i mean this is just all that w this is uh all that we know about him so there are instances of cases like this where you think like there's no possible way and then they go on the run and you're like what like i mean there's like in a, in a less extreme case in terms of like crime you know that unsolved mysteries case where that woman who worked at a, at a bank all of a sudden just out of nowhere just stole all this money yeah. And went on the run. And she had like a clean record before that, and yes. that's why that's why they didn't really. That's why they started thinking like, oh, will someone put her up to it? And blah blah. And then it turns out, no, she just you know, as they say in the show, she just broke bad one day and uh, and 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 just you know started doing that. Um, yeah, you know, midlife crises can cause that. He was kind of midlife 
if not a little bit more so. Um, I think it was like 40 or something. I don't know, whatever. But uh, yeah, who knows? I mean... They said he was 50. Oh, well, there think. you go. Whatever, Mike. The, the consummate fact checker over here. Um, <laughs> look, Mike, I'm not worried about fucking facts, all right? I'm worried about the the, the, the story, the the heart, you know? And, and, and heart and facts don't always go together in my book, okay? Buster Brown. <laughs> Buster Brown. <laughs> <clears throat> So, yeah, that's a fucking crazy uh, case. And, I mean, I can see why a lot of people uh, said that this was one of their favorite episodes from season one. Uh, very compelling. Um, it was one of the best that I've seen of this new Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, really. I'm mean, sure. honestly, um, it, it, um, I think the fact that it, it did take place in another country with the subtitles and all, it, did, it, it didn't exactly feel like your run of the mill Netflix generic docuseries. It, kind of had more of a special feel to it um wasn't the imposter wasn't that a french um yeah that, i forgot about that movie that was a great movie that was a great documentary someone suggested that to us and i'm glad they did uh yeah i want to say that was french that was insane that movie the imposter he yeah. literally goes uh. and meets and the and the family like kind of knows that he's not the guy but then there's all this insinuation that the older brother killed the missing boy, and that's why the family's just having to be like, oh shit, it's totally him. Because uh, we know that the real missing kid is dead, so we have to act like this is him. Yeah. So with one. this particular case with Xavier, I think for me personally, I, I, I'm strongly, heavily leaning towards uh, him being the one that killed his family and killed the two dogs. Um, in terms of whether or not he committed suicide or whether or not he escaped, I think, you know, there's arguments that can be made for both. I think, I so think I don't know. Suicide. That's my personal. I'm in the, I'm in the middle on that one. Cause I don't, I don't think there's enough. Dude. I mean, look, he wasn't trying to hide. They caught him on all this CCTV footage. They, well, like they said, like he could have, you know, that was a part of. You know, set the you know to set them up so that you know they would think that he was gonna kill himself in 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 the cliffs, and while they're looking in the cliffs, he's uh, fleeing the country. I don't think so. I think so. I th- as they say in um, uh, being a police detective, the most obvious uh, scenario is usually the most likeliest scenario. Oh, and to me, that's just the most obvious scenario. Yeah. Until they find a body, though. Yep. All right, guys, you guys ready for some Josh Flower Diaries? You guys ready to get sad and angry? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I, I get messages about this shit from time to time. People are like, oh, it's my favorite part of the podcast. Um, so you'll enjoy this. This is the perks of being a Josh Flower. As I've said before, I used to write in an di- online diary every almost every fucking day from age 14 to age 24. And uh, I, sa- I stumbled upon him a few months ago, and I will read some uh, t- to you now. This was, I was, uh, this one takes place Saturday, June 18th, 2005. I think I was 16 years old around this time. Um, and anything I say in these diaries, uh, was me 15, 16 years ago. 
I uh, don't, you know, if I say anything offensive, uh, I'm not that guy anymore, okay? I've done a lot of growing since then, trust me. So if you hear some shit that's offensive, I apologize for my old asshole self. Here we go. Saturday, June 18, 2005. Well, it was another crazy Josh and Josh weekend. My friend Josh came over and we had fun playing music and stuff. I'm still good at the drums, according to him. And he's all in a band, so that means something. I figured out a secret about someone I really liked, and it tarnished my opinion of them. My pants were so loose they almost fell off. I hate that feeling. I need a belt. I saw Batman Begins last night. That movie was seriously good, and I am very picky when it comes to movies. Oh, boy, is that right? They did They did that movie. <laughs> Do you still think that movie's seriously good? Uh, Batman Begins? Yeah, I still think it's good. I, I like Dark Knight better, but I stand by that. That is. What do you think about The Dark Knight Rises? I haven't seen that one. I, I, ha, I had no impetus to see it. I, I don't care about Bane. And it's never been a huge... And uh, him sounding like Darth Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, does he? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's all like... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what he was saying. Uh, I was born in the darkness. That's right. Oh, no. That sounds like something I, I'm definitely not interested in now. So, according to me back then, they did that movie right. I have my friend's guitar, which has a whammy bar on it. Yes, I can finally play Rush right. I'm tired, man. I don't want to fucking go to work on Monday. Um, Lindsay is a freaking sexy beast whom I want. I am seriously looking for. A re- <laughs> <laughs> I am seriously looking for a relationship now. I really miss having a girlfriend. It was awesome. I am ready for another. Okay, well, I guess I'll go. I was supposed to call Stephanie back, but it was too damn late. Damn it. Oh, well, I'm tired. Bye. And then I say something that is um, not socially uh, acceptable for people to say now. Um, okay, so... Jo- Who's Lindsay? Lindsay was this chick that I met on the internet, and she was okay. she was hot, and we had a correspondence, and I think she lived in Pennsylvania or something, or Virginia. I don't know why I ever thought it was going to work out with her. I even wrote her a fucking song. I still have it. Oh. It's bad, dude. It is. Can't, I can't even listen to it. Cut it, it it's like, oh, Lindsay. And dude, it's basically <laughs> like, it's like, Lindsay. Something, something. You're the only one who cared for me. It was bad. Oh, Uber God. cringe. Like, the <laughs> highest levels of cringe. And I sounded like a little girl. And, you know, <laughs> she probably heard that shit and, like, dude, this kid probably hasn't even hit puberty yet. Like, I, I am not going to touch his dick with a 10-foot pole. You uh, sounding like uh, the Jesus loves me kid? Oh, from, yeah, uh... pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, anyway, I guess that was a happier, more um, positive post. Alright, Sunday, June 19th, 2005. Ugh, today was so boring. I feel like Sundays are a wasted day. Not because it's the day of God or whatever, but because you can't do anything if you got a job, like me. You can't go out, you can't go over to your friend's house, you're basically just hanging around and waiting for hell. But yeah, work is tomorrow, and I do not want to go. I'm really thinking about quitting. What do y'all think? It's four 10-hour days, and I get paid 10 bucks an hour. But yet the work is just so boring. I put a lot of O's after the so there. And hard. You couldn't know unless you worked there. Man, I really wish Lindsay would get online. 
She's like one of the coolest girlfriends I have. A girl who is a friend, not girlfriend. I wish she would come to Jacksonville. Uh, I guess I gotta go fucking... I guess I gotta fucking go since it's like seven, which means I gotta go get... Go to bed soon. Ah! Damn it! I fucking hate work! Leave some comments if you would. So there you have that one. My job sucked. They didn't like it. All right, that's pretty much all I got from that entry. Um, let me see. Monday, June 20th, 2005. Well, dude, I had a little interesting night last night. I go to bed. Oh, yeah, before I start talking about that, um, this girl named Stephanie told me these stories about how she has seen a demon, and it scared me shitless the past two nights. I have tried not to think about it. So anyway, I go to bed. No de- Do you remember that story? Um, oh, yes. Yeah, my, uh, yeah, Stephanie, um, uh, I shouldn't say her last name. She's not my, my friend Stephanie at this time. I had this friend Stephanie at this time. That's really interesting Just- how you had two, you had a best friend who was named Josh, <laughs> and then you had another friend named Stephanie. That is weird, yeah. Um, uh, this- Are you just attracted to her? Do you have another friend named Josh right now? No, but some of my best friends have been Josh's. There are three Josh's I've had in my life that I considered best friends at one point. Is that Does that mean I'm narcissistic? I think it does. Uh, no, okay, so yes, uh, this girl, Stephanie, was actually a grade below me, and she was hot back then, and she is hot today. Good lord, that chick has aged like a fine wine. Um, yeah, she was telling me about how she was in her house one time, and uh it was like during a thunderstorm and she was by herself and like the lightning flashed and she saw a silhouette of this like demonic figure and it's it scared me shitless because like she's not the she wasn't she was like a preppy chick like but yet mm-hmm. she's still she was like one of those hot preppy chicks but who was still like cool like one of the guys like she'd still be your friend even if you weren't like preppy um so i never really had a problem with her i just you know much like every other girl in my life back then, she wanted nothing to do with me uh, sexually or, you know, in any kind of relationship way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so she tells me about this demon. I was trying to go to bed. No demon thoughts in my mind. My fucking alarm goes off at 12 o'clock at night instead of 4. Why? I don't know. It threw me all out of whack. I couldn't go back to sleep. Because I couldn't go back to sleep because <laughs> I had demon thoughts, LOL. These stories were scary. Leave me alone. But then I went online and my cousin was on and he said, hey, dude, you want to come over and get drunk? And I was and I was like, and how? So this is the first time I officially (laughs) snuck out of my house. uh, But I went over there and drank a few beers. Uh, Nothing happened. I barely felt buzzed. Rip off. Then I ended up going to bed at like fucking 245. So I only ended up getting like three hours Ugh, I'm so tired. So that's the... <laughs> I love you're like, ugh, I'm so tired. It's like, yeah, you didn't have to sneak out and drink for two or three I hours. I like how my bum-ass underage cousin had nothing to do on on a Monday uh, <laughs> summer night than to get drunk. Like, hey, man, hey, bro, do you want to come over and uh, drink, some be- drink some beer? <laughs> yeah, me and, like, me and him did that a lot back then. Um... <laughs> Work wasn't that bad, amazingly. I got to work in the lab today, which is a hundred times easier than the hold area where I usually slave. The lab was a lot better than the fucking hold area. Yeah. But tomorrow is... But speaking of, like, uh, you know, demons, like, midnight? That is kind of creepy. That like, Yeah, my alarm went, went off, off at like midnight, midnight instead of four. That's the that's time I used... The midnight hour. Yeah. 
They actually say 3 a.m. is the, the most demonic hour. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, that's the time I had to wake up, by the way. 4 fucking a.m. in the morning. Like, fuck that. I don't even go to bed. Yeah, there was one day, uh, Black Friday, I got up at like 5 a.m. because I had to be at work by 7. Yep, that was how it was when I worked at Great Raps, too. I had to, at Black Friday at the mall, I worked in the food court. Hell on earth. Um, so, where was I? Uh, oh, but tomorrow is pizza day at work, and I was thinking about spending a hundred of my hard-earned dollars on music stuff. Yeah, I'm ready for the weekend. I want to have some fun, damn it. I'm so tired of this whole scene that's been going on around, like, the fucking flu. I wish all emo kids and hardcore kids would just grow up. God, this trend is by far the most annoying one yet. Again, with the, d- digging, the shitting on emo just kids? Just going hard on the emo kids again, yep. Uh, this is the most annoying trend by far, even beyond rap. Dare I say country. I can actually deal with country. I can't deal with this shit. Well, I hate the scene. What more can I say? If you have read this whole thing, bravo, you actually care, or you're bored at your damn mind. Okay, bye. So, what would you prefer now? Country or uh, emo like rock music Uh, i just like both of them so much uh (laughs) (laughs) see i'm not as i'm not Uh, as fervent of for my hatred of emo in the scene and shit as i as i am now as i am now as i was back then um i still don't like the music though i agree with everything i i said about the music not being good i just like I guess like my what I what I really hated was all the conformity that I saw and and people just yeah. not like like doing their own thing and they they're just like automatically picking what. It, but that's normal. Like that happens pretty often. Well, you see, Mike, you know, I thought I was when... a special snowflake and that everyone else <laughs> should be just as different and special as me and not conform. Um. So, isn't that like the epitome of some kind of emo uh, mindset? Isn't it? I'm unique. Everyone else is uh, just basic and normal. Mike, you better mind your tone with me right now. <laughs> you, the, what, you better watch the next few things that come out of your mouth. Better be the right things, buddy boy. Or you, you and me, me uh, and you, we're gonna have a tussle. An old school We're tussle. Have a, uh, an old school uh, uh, mental tussle. Oh damn! We're just gonna think really bad thoughts at, at each yes. other. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, okay. So if I had to pick, fuck, dude, that's a really good question. Whether uh, yeah. I take emo or country, jeez, uh, uh, I, I guess, I guess emo because country is just so cringy. Like every song is the same fucking thing and. I mean, emo can arguably be said is about the same thing, too. But at least emo has, like, heavy guitars. That's probably the only redeeming value. So, I guess emo. What what kind of bands do you consider, like, emo bands? Thursday, Taking Back Sunday, okay. Brand New, uh, to a certain degree, My Chemical Romance. Although some, some yeah, would argue okay. that they're yeah, that, punk yeah. emo. Uh, uh-huh. Fucking As I Lay Dying was emo core. Atreyu was yeah. Christian emo core. These are some of the bands that kids liked when I was growing up. Um, I, I'll take any of those emo bands over country. It's like it's an easy choice for me. Not as easy for me, but that's just because I have a level of dislike that is. But I, I'm not even really that big of a fan of either genre either myself. But like, 
you know, at least I got some nice guitar work and, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, to listen with to emo with emo, stuff. right, exactly. There is no musicianship put into country music, unless you're talking about bluegrass. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the few country songs I like is uh, a lot is, you know, by the Charlie Daniels band. Well, you know, well he's he's m- that's more bluegrass like rooted with yeah. like fiddle playing, yeah. which is takes a lot of I mean, talent. That's impressive. Oh, yeah. Like that's unbelievably impressive. impressive. That fiddle. Solo. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Very, very good stuff. All right. This post is from Tuesday, uh, June 21st, 2005. OK, well, I'm updating. And there's a girl named Lindsay. Jesus Christ, dude. I get so fixated on women in my past, and I just won't shut the fuck up about them. I guess I've moved on from Casey at this point. Uh, there's this girl named Lindsay who I think is awesome. Moved on pretty quick. No, it didn't. <laughs> I, I, the, like, the last few weeks have been nothing but Casey, 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 and now I'm yeah, yeah, Lindsay, know, Lindsay, no, Lindsay. Say- yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, It just seems like, you know... You were saying these things like, oh, I, my I, life will never be the same. Yeah. That's why it's a shame when like teenagers come com- a, a literally a month later. Yeah, Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, it's a shame when teenagers <laughs> commit suicide over like breakups and shit, because, dude, it's yeah. such temporary, man. But you like they need to, to communicate, you know, talk to somebody. Maybe maybe if there's a teenager listening to this podcast now, they'll they'll hear how maybe they can relate to my anger and my my emo ness in these posts and they'll see that it gets better because I, I am not I am I am quite happy nowadays aside from my uh, mental uh, fuckery but that's neither here nor there anyway there's this girl named Lindsay who I think is awesome she's the best girl in the world but she lives in Tennessee okay so it's Tennessee so this really sucks for me and maybe for her I don't know if she thinks I'm awesome or not but yeah so today I had work Ugh, it was so long dude I'm tired of it if it wasn't for the fact that I'm a money hungry younger fat cat Republican who loves genociding small countries for money and oil. Just kidding, George Bush, cough, cough. Oh, okay, Josh got a little political there. Um, Yeah, so there is this Cuban at my work who's checking me out, and it's official. A lot of people have seen him do it. (laughs) What? That's what I said, apparently. (laughs) What? What the fuck? There is this Cuban at my work who is checking me out, and it's official. A lot of people have seen him do it. Then I mistakenly just the, just the car crash transition, you know, I, from uh, Lindsay to and George Bush da, 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 knocking George Bush, but, yeah, to a, a gay Cuban apparently. Uh, th- I go on to say I mistakenly bent over today, and this kid uh, standing across from me said he looked at my ass the whole time. I fear. <laughs> I fear for my asshole now. (laughs) His name is Rigo, R-I-G-G-O, and he did not look Cuban to me. But then the whole Spanish conversation with the other guy named Oscar, who really does look Cuban, proved my theory wrong. What do they talk about? Why don't they just speak English as a concession to us? I'm not going to be a redneck and be all like, go back to your own country. I'm glad they are here. Cheap labor. Cough, cough. Oh, Jesus Christ, Josh. Oh, God. What I didn't what I didn't say that. But anyway, I get paid tomorrow. I'm going to buy Lindsay a plane ticket down here so she can hang out with me. Oh, yeah, one, sure. One night stand. Cough, cough. What? Whoa, I didn't say that. Okay, well, I got to go eat hamburger because vegans are gay. Ha ha. Fuck your couch. Uh, then a, a thing that Dave Chappelle said. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah from... Uh, uh, the Rick James sketch. So, 
Uh, Cuban looked at your Gay Cubans, me buying a plane ticket for someone who clearly probably wasn't interested in me. Um, that sounds like an unsolved mysteries case in the make the, game. The you mystery know. of the gay Cuban that looked at my ass? <laughs> no, I'm talking about not that one. The, you know, you buy a plane ticket for some mysterious stranger that you've never met in real, in, in person. And they come over and then murder you. And then they disappear. Um, yeah, and then I... Um, why, why don't I... I don't know why I felt the need to take the piss out of uh, vegans. Um, yeah, I don't understand that either. And and, and call them gay. Uh, that was who... Everything was gay, though, back then. So, um, you know, there you go. Uh, all right, this is the last one I'll do, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, this is Friday, June 24th, 2005. Well, it's the weekend for me. I better enjoy this crap because it goes by too fast. I'm going to watch Unsolved Mysteries today while eating TGI Yay! See, I told you guys I'm a veteran. Uh, While eating TGI Friday's little fried ravioli thing. Those are so good. They were. I I loved those fuckers. I went to the music store last night and bought a Boss D1 distortion pedal. It's pretty sweet. And then I bought a Rush Guitar Anthology book, which I still have. Then I bought two balanced uh, keyboard cables. And then I got home and I was all depressed. Go figure. I'd, What's the distortion thing? Uh, like, what, what does that that's do? That's a distortion pedal for your guitar. Uh, it, it, it uh, you plug it into the pedal from your guitar, and then from the pedal to the amplifier. And when you hit the switch, it gives it that distorted guitar tone that you hear in like rock songs, like you know. Uh, oh, okay. Um, it's it's a classic distortion pedal. And it's pretty cheap too. I recommend it to any guitar players out there. The Boss uh, D1 distortion pedal. It's orange and it's uh, fairly cheap. Anyway, um. Uh, I got home and I was depressed. I don't know why per se, but I was. I think it was because I was extremely tired. I only get five to six hours of sleep every day during work. So I went to bed at around 1030 last night. Jesus. Before I went to bed, the My Chemical Romance video for Helena came on. It's not that bad of a song, really. I just figured that the reason I hate all the new rock is because everyone else likes it. If I had discovered My Chemical Romance from my... Wow. Yeah, it's a little bit of (laughs) self-realization there. (laughs) <laughs> if I had discovered My Chemical Romance for myself and no one knew about them, I would probably like them. Same with the new Green Day album, which would be American Idiot at this time. Uh, but I really do hate hardcore and emo, though. Well, even emo isn't... Okay, don't quote me on this. It isn't horribly bad. It's okay, damn it. Don't quote me on that. But I still hate hardcore. I will never buy any of these CDs, mind you, but I'm starting to be able to tolerate it, which is a step for me. Man, I slept like a bitch last night. It was good. Hey, thanks for being there for me, Lindsay. You the best. This queer bag named Teenage Douchebag or something told me to kill myself. What a bubby bear that guy was. Don't oh, don't know what a bubby God. bear is, huh? Well, what? if you ask me what one is, then you're being one. So I'd, 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 I'd advise you not to. I don't know what... Okay, I guess we're all bubby bears. <laughs> God, I'm so cringy right now. I don't know what I'm doing today. I might be going to Gay Gay Murray Hill, even though I don't like any of those bands. Murray Hill is a a, a music venue here in Jacksonville. Uh, I might just go and hang out with the kids, but yet then I'll have to spend money to hang out with douches. So unless I know someone there I really really like, I'm not going. Well, damn, I guess I had a lot to say. Okay, we'll see you later, bitches and hoes, and bitches and hoes, and fags and hags. I don't know. Shut up. Leave me alone. 
<laughs> yeah, sorry. <God>. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know, see that one coming. Uh, uh, there was some self-reflection there, and then there was the same immaturity. Yeah. Uh, I'm obviously coming around to the fact that um, I am one of those dickholes who only like something after everyone else is done liking it. Um, and But what the heck was it? Was a Bubby? Okay, Bubby Bear. Bubby Bear? T- okay, so me, so I started listening to Aphex Twin back at that time. Aphex Twin is this really experimental electronic artist. Um, okay. And he released an album in 2001 called Drugs. And it's okay. just this bombastic spastic electronic music you can barely quantify it as a song and in one of the songs uh-huh. it's just got this electronic voice going bobby bobby bear bobby bear bobby bobby bear and he just keeps saying that and like me and my cousin i think started like a like a just an inside joke where we would call each other that it's like you're a fucking bobby bear and it just kind of became an <laughs> sounds like some fucking random shit that beavis and butthead would come up with I don't know, man. I had forgotten all about all that shit. That's it's funny because Stephanie, uh, her, one of her favorite bands is My Chemical Romance to this day, and uh, she would be entertained uh, to read that uh, little line there. In fact, I might screen cap that and show it to her of of what uh, whatever of what sixteen year old Josh's self revelation. I guess Bubby Bear is just some random thing that guy came up with because it sounded. You know, weird. Dude, Richard D. James is kind of a prodigy. Uh, everyone should go yeah. check out Aphex Twin. You're probably not going to like it, but it's very different. And um, because otherwise, Bobby Bear just sounds not at all like an insult. It sounds like some kind of loving nickname <clears throat> that a spouse has for you know. <laughs> all right, I, <laughs> so, you I'm, know, I'm, I'm already one. looking at my foray into Murray Hill in this next post. This one's short. Then we'll cut it off. <laughs> Saturday, June twenty fifth, two thousand and five. Well, I went to Murray Hill last night. It was all right. I think hardcore kids are stupid. I just... Hold on. <laughs> God damn. Delergy to his own yeah, bullshit I'm this time I'm allergic around. to my cringe. Um, I just don't <laughs> see the whole point of the kicking and punching air. The only thing I can see about hardcore music is it's very energetic. It gets you pumped up, but that's it. There's no talent behind that energy. It's just open C or D string playing along to the rhythm of the drums and screaming. It's the most primitive type of music I've ever heard. I can't appreciate something that relies solely on the live shows and rhythm. I got to talk to some girls I haven't seen in a long time there. It was fun, but now I'm trying to get out of the fucking house and go to the mall, but our fucking road is flooded. How a fucking annoying is that? So, that's, um... So, yeah, you can see, like, the scene that I grew up in, like, in, and I think it's kind of funny that some of these, like, classic albums, like American Idiot, like, I'm, talk- I'm yeah. talking about it in this diary as as it, it had just come out, you know? Like, it was still, yeah. it was still brand new. And you were acting like an American Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, literally all these bands that, like, it's funny because with like there are these emo nostalgia nights that that some of these music venues have around Jacksonville now and it's literally just a DJ will play bands from this era and like all these late 20 somethings and early 30 somethings will show up and go ape shit and they'll act like they're teenagers again and now I can go to those things and just sit there and stare at it fondly and be like oh I remember being young 
But like yeah. literally in these diaries, I'm right in the trenches of when all this was new and when it was fresh and when we when we were all young. And had I been anyone else, I would have been singing the praises of going to Murray Hill and being able to dance this music and how much I love the music scene. But me being the contrarian cunt that I was, I had to be all like, I hate this. I hate that. It's new. I don't like it. Blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's just funny how much of a, cause I, I always tell people that I was never into that music. Like I go to these nights sometimes and be like, yeah, man, isn't this music great? I'm like, yeah, I've never, I've never been into it, but you know, that's cool if you like it. But now I truly see just how much I hated that music when I was growing up. It's crazy. Like, and it was like, I wish I could have at least appreciated the fact that at least there... It's a somewhat irrational hatred. It, it is irrational. Right. It, it is... Yeah. It is it, it, part of it had to do with um, my narcissism, my, my brewing narcissism, and the fact that, like... I think it's also an easy target for you. Like, it's something you can, like, easily lash yeah, out. Yeah, it's quantifiable. There was a certain way they dressed, a certain way they acted, a certain type of music they listened to, a certain aesthetic, a certain style. It, yeah, it was it was a quantifiable thing to hate. Like, the Ku Klux... I mean, I felt the same way about, you know, some of the things that were popular, you know, when I was a teenager, so... I mean, and the internet was, like, still kind of in its infancy in 2005, so it's not like I could easily just jump online and find my own like niche of of music that i actually like you know it's like for me it was like just shit that they played on the radio that i grew up liking like alternative rock like i guess i just i just grew up uh you know listening to you know old cassettes my mom had of like bands like scorpions (laughs) and you know soundtracks to you know top gun and and listening to you know the 80s uh uh radio stations my mom liked to listen to so i have to admit you know that did shape a lot of the the kind of music that i like but there's other music that i've you know uh checked out and 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 uh listened to over the years that i probably wouldn't even think about or even really even care for when i was younger but i gotta admit there still is that you know that deep-rooted you know love for you know that kind of music uh you know especially a lot of the the music that you hear on soundtrack well, which is called uh aor like i'm really a big fan of aor and i'm also uh you know a big fan of that 80s synth uh synth sort of sound so when i hear music with that you know it is a little bit of nostalgia but at the same time i think you know with stuff like new retrowave like there's some really talented you know, uh, musicians in their own right that are, you know, working on, you know, and and being a part of that particular, you know, new genre that's, you know, based around retro. You know? I think my biggest problem with, um, like, music scenes, like, like, for instance, that emo music scene and all that, my problem with these scenes is that the, the when you have a movement with, where the parameters are so strict on what is and what isn't, you know, proper emo or what is or what isn't proper country, um, you know, these strict parameters I find too constricting for my artistic uh, hunger that I have. So, for Mm -hmm. instance, you're never going to hear an emo band uh, really 
go outside of certain boxes because then their their fans won't like them because they won't be considered emo anymore. Um, country music, you're, you're never going to hear them uh, do some crazy hard heavy metal breakdown because then they're not considered country enough anymore. So there's these certain parameters you have to stay you have to stay inside the lines and i just don't like any music that ha- that that doesn't allow for experimentation and i felt like alternative rock of the 90s was kind of the last um rock oriented genre that that really embraced experimentation um because de- emo definitely didn't embrace it i mean you could say indie rock it definitely embraces experimentation, but indie rock, I mean, that was a flash in a pan. That was like, what, t- 2009 to like 2013 when that was hot, but then everything just kind of went to rap after that. Um, I don't know. But anyway, that's the end of the uh, Josh Flower Diaries and this podcast. It's probably long as fuck right now. I'm too lazy to look at how long we've been doing this for. <laughs> um, anyway, if you want to subscribe to us on patreon it's patreon.com slash uncovering explain mysteries for three dollars a month you get the podcast early for five dollars a month you get the podcast early and you can tell us what you want us to do an episode on um if you want to join our facebook group which is um lively and full of great discussion from nice people it's one of the nicest groups i've ever been in uh you can go to facebook uh, go to the search bar, type in uh, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, and, you know, search, search search the groups tab. You know how to fucking join a Facebook group at this point. Um, we're on Instagram at Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, just search that. Uh, we're on YouTube, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We're on Twitter, at Uncovering UM. All this shit should be in the link to this, uh, or the description of this uh, podcast. If you want more of me and Mike, but you want us like separate, like like say that you vibe with Mike's dad oriented energy more than mine, you can get <laughs> only Mike and with that's Josh free by going to Mike's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash OCP communications. Mike is a hardcore movie fanatic. Uh, what was the last video you did? So the last video I did, uh, I actually uploaded a review of The Devil's Rejects, um, the Rob Zombie film uh, that is one of the most critically acclaimed uh, films of his career. I also reviewed House of a Thousand Corpses. um, And uh, speaking of other uh, musicians who decided to direct, I also did a review of Veronica, which is one of the worst and most uh, pathetic, shitty horror anthologies uh, you will ever Verotica? see. Uh, Verotica. Verotica. Oh. Uh, with a V. And uh, it's uh, directed by uh, Danzig. Ooh. Danzig is like, he's got such a bad reputation in the music scene of being like the ultimate douchebag. Like diva. He's got a, mm-hmm. I, I've heard he's got a very diva-like douchey personality all right well head over to mike's channel if you want to check that out um if you want to check out my youtube channel it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts uh that's also the name of my band you can look us up on spotify we're really fucking good um the last video i did on my youtube channel was a uh ranking of all of depeche mode's albums i think 
this was my most recent video on the last podcast we did. So uh, I'm going to do a video tonight after we get off the podcast. I'm going to be reviewing uh, the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Seer. But um, my video before that, I rate all of Depeche Mode's albums. What, didn't was, didn't they release a single before the album? Oh, way, came yeah, out? way before it came out. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because some of the comments I'm seeing, um, and I try not to read too much of the comments because I don't want their comments influencing my review, but some people are are saying that, oh, Sears the worst song on the album, and yet that's the one they release as a single. Uh, I fucking disagree. been listening to the album so far, and I have not been that impressed with it. Uh, there's 20 songs, which is kind of bloated. Damn. Yeah. But that happens, I've noticed that happens a lot with these albums nowadays. They're like, they have like way too many tracks, I think, for uh, Spotify or yeah, some rap, kind of, That's you more know, of a thing that hip hop artists will do. It's called stream trolling. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ray Shremard, the rapper duo, put out an album that had 30 songs on it. And it's just, just literally so they can rack up as many streams as possible to make more money. Uh, I don't think the Smashing Pumpkins did that for that reason. I think Billy Corgan is just a really prolific writer and he writes a lot, but the problem has been with him in the last 15 years or so is there's not really any kind of quality control telling him that, Hey, this maybe isn't your best stuff that you've done. And he's just completely going off of his own instinct, which is getting more and more out of touch as time goes on. When the Pumpkins were truly great, in my opinion, was in the 90s when they were still being able to be influenced by uh, what was going on around them. And they were kind of making an attempt to stand out. And they did a great job of doing that. Now, Billy Corgan has no idea what the fuck to do. So he's just writing these kind of tepid, middle of the road kind of pop songs. There's a lot more synthesizer work in this new album, but he doesn't really do anything that cool Mm -hmm. with it. The melodies are very um, middle of the road. His voice is sounding more grating than ever uh, with old age. It's like his voice has gotten even more just, I mean, I used to think his voice sounded Mm -hmm. cool as shit. Now I don't, now I'm not so sure I feel that way anymore. Um, (laughs) So yeah. I don't have a whole lot of experience with uh, Smashing Pumpkins except for like a few songs. Uh, One in particular, uh, what is it? The end is the beginning. The The end is being as the the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I actually used to listen to the Batman and Robin soundtrack quite a lot. That's a great, uh, that's a great song off that. There's two versions. It is. There's two versions of that song. And the most popular one is the 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 stripped down slow tempo version off of Watchmen. Uh, but I really like that one too. My, but my favorite one is uh, the one off of the Batman and Robin soundtrack. That that is just the Batman and Robin soundtrack is actually pretty good. I mean, compared to the movie itself. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I mean the Batman Forever soundtrack was good too. The '90s soundtracks were really fucking good. I mean, yeah, I gotta be honest. Like when it comes to Batman. Uh, I I don't mind some of the Prince songs in the 1989 film, but I'm a bigger fan of Tim of uh, Danny Elfman's score, right? Than I am of Prince's music. And if we're talking about just straight up like music soundtracks, like Forever and Batman and Robin had better soundtracks than Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah. I mean, just the 90s in general had some of the best soundtracks. Although I did like the song Face to Face by Suxi and the Banshees from... Uh, yeah, well, Batman they're, Returns. They're, they're, a good, they're a good band. Um, 
I mean, you got albums like Godzilla 1998. That soundtrack was amazing. Uh, the Crow soundtrack was really good. Yeah. Lo- Lost yeah. Highway, classic soundtrack. Um, the Devil's Rejects, I, you know, I, w- I didn't love it as much as other people did, but it did have a nice uh, mix of 70s, you know, rock. You know, the, the uh, stuff like... Um, uh, Midnight Rider and Freebird. I miss the days where bands like would that. do songs just for soundtracks because then you you really had a reason to go and seek out the soundtrack yeah. instead mm-hmm. of just like slapping a song that already exists onto. I mean, I get it if it fits, you know, the scene really perfectly. And I mean, look at Top Gun. I mean, Top Gun's one of my my favorite soundtracks, and Danger Zone was specifically made for Top yeah. Gun, and so were a lot of the other hit songs from that album were specifically made for the film uh what's interesting about top gun is initially they wanted to have uh a judas priest song on uh the album uh it was uh uh from their album turbo and uh uh, something happened with the like the label or something and they asked for too much or something or, or or another so uh they ultimately did not put that uh, song on uh, on the soundtrack but and the song is called Reckless and it sounds like something that could fit in Top Gun nice but it just uh, it just wasn't used uh, because uh, they asked for too much uh, the trailer for Top Gun also uses a song by the cars which is interesting like the trailer for Top Gun does not have like yeah. Danger Zone in it it, it just has a uh, um, a song called uh, God. What the fuck is the name of that song? Uh, it's not coming to me, but it's uh, "Stranger Eyes." That's what it's called. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, but uh, yeah, uh, Judas Priest actually did a song for a soundtrack. Eventually, though, they did uh, a cover of "Johnny Be Good." For the movie Johnny Be Good, of all things, they probably like grew up listening to that shit, though you know. Maybe, but I just found that funny. Like they weren't willing to put you know Reckless on what would go on to be arguably one of the best-selling soundtracks of all time. But uh, they they were willing to do a, a cover of Johnny Be Good for a, a, a late '80s movie starring Anthony Michael Hall, where he's a football player that barely nobody even remembers. Interesting. All right. Well, I think that concludes our two and a half hour fucking podcast. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I don't have to splice these two, uh, the, cut this track in half, and do all the kinds of fuckery. Um, all yeah. right, guys. Until next time, I hope you have a good rest of your day and or night. See ya. Bye. <laughs>